What's good, y'all, and welcome to another episode of the Amatel Like a TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Got a fantastic show here on this last day of March, March 31st on a Wednesday the year 2021. Chrysler Mad Dog Russo is going to join us later on the program to preview the 2021 baseball season. Got uh, Daniel Oyafusi, my apologies if I'm pronouncing that poorly, of the Baltimore Sun. He will join me a little later on to talk about the NCAA tournament and the Maryland Terrapins 2021 season in particular after they got knocked off by uh, Alabama uh, last week. But uh, for and give you my 2021 MLB season predictions because opening day is uh, indeed uh, less than 24 hours from now. And then here at the top, of course, I will give you my two cents on uh, the Elite Eight and Sweet 16 as far as March Madness is concerned in college basketball. But let us begin with the two pronged attack, and that is the University of Michigan who both in their respective games really had as bad of of uh, in-game uh of in-game situational basketball as you are ever as you are ever 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 going to see. Let's start first with uh, the women's sweet 16. Maryland who was the 16 going against number the two-seeded Baylor on Saturday. Bad, this game was a phenomenal basketball game went into overtime. And it went right down to the wire on Saturday down in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. Michigan is down 76-75, okay? Down 76-75. to Mich- Baylor, Baylor has possession. They run the clock down and get an easy lay and then get an easy layup inside to put them up 78-75. There's 8.7 seconds left. For you know Michigan's next possession, they have no timeouts left. Michigan inbounds the ball. They inbound it. I don't have the names. I apologize, but they inbound it. So I would imagine their their girl that runs the point with about with about seven point seven seconds left in the clock in overtime. They're down by three. She moves at a snail's pace until she gets till about the mid-court logo and decides with five and a half seconds left, down three, to hoist up a half-court shot that was so bad and was so horrendous, you, you can't even, and, and to the point where as she rushed it to where all of her Michigan teammates are no further down the court than the three point line. So as she hoists up a, 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 a Hail Mary half court shot down by three with five and a half seconds left. And the shot was so bad, her team doesn't even allow her teammates to get down to the other end of the floor to get a rebound. What happened? Ball goes out of bounds, clock hits triple zeros, and Michigan loses the game 78-75. I mean, that is as bad as that is as bad as a sequence at the end of a basketball game you can ever see. The fact that she had no idea how much time was on the clock, she took about three seconds to dribble the ball down the court off the inbound, and then when she decides, oh crap, I gotta move fast, she hoists up a a half-court three when there was five and a half seconds left on the game clock. Shoots up a half-court three, bricks it, 
Teammates nowhere to be found to get the offensive rebound. Ball goes out of bounds. Barely wins the game. That is poor Michigan basketball item number one. Poor Michigan basketball item number two is this. UCLA and Michigan of the Elite Eight last night. Michigan lost 51-59 in case you went the in case you went the bet on it. And Michigan missed. And I and I am not making this up. If you went to bed early, I swear, I swear to you, I am not making this up. Michigan missed eight. Eight. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, but eight consecutive shots against UCLA from the 338 mark in the second half on. All four which would have got them the lead and potentially could have won them the game. Eight shots. Eight shots. And, and furthermore, they had possession with about 15 seconds left in the second half, down on one point, and I got Michigan players hoisting up threes. They're down one point, one point to get them to a final four, and they're hoisting up threes. You have got, got to be kidding me. I mean, do either of these programs do work up at Ann Arbor, Michigan, do a little work as far as playing situational in-game basketball when games are there to be won and lost coming down to the wire where the possession margins are within a basket, one point, two point, or a three-point shot? Do they practice that? Michigan missed eight, eight consecutive shots to lose that game against UCLA last night. Eight of them. And the majority of them were three-point shots. Shooting threes when they are down one rather than doing what Michigan has done best all season long, and that's dominating the pain of their opponent. If you go ahead and you look at Michigan's at Michigan's stat lines, at Michigan at Michigan's stats throughout this entire season, they are one of the best teams. The best teams in college basketball at dominating paint and beating you the old-fashioned way. Rather than get away from that, which would have worked considering that you're down one point, 50 to 59, and eventually 51 to 59, I got them hoisting up threes. And then when they send UCLA back to the line, they get one of two at the free throws. Instead of playing for overtime and getting the tie, I got Franz Wagner. Yes, Franz Wagner, the big-time seven-footer from Germany, hoisting up threes, looking like Carlton from French Prince of Bel-Air, shoots a, shoots a jump shot that's supposed to stem to the final four, and he, and he airballs it to the point where it barely kisses the net. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Eight consecutive shots? Eight. Not five, eight. Eight. And three. Three of them. Three of them were three-pointers to win the game when they were down one at one at one point and then down a two-point basket instead of playing for the overtime. With 10 seconds left, three-pointer for the lead went, went off. Three-pointer, two-point seconds left for the lead. One off at the buzzer instead of playing for the time. No, we'll go for the three. We'll hoist up another three, and, and we and we break that one, and we end up losing the game. We ended up going home. And if you want, and if you want, geez, why is y'all picking on Michigan so much? 
I had Michigan to win the national championship for my bracket. That's why. They hoisted up three, three pointers with less than 10 seconds left in the game when all they needed was a simple two to win the game and then later on tie it to send it in overtime. And I got Michigan hoisting up threes. Like they're the Golden State Warriors, just hoisting up threes all day long. I mean, you 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 gotta be kidding me. Hoisting up threes. Franz Wagner, who's seven feet tall, got him hoisting up threes just to airball him. My goodness. And then I got him, and then I got him, I mean, practice the layup lines. Not only do they miss three consecutive threes, they miss three consecutive layups, too. Like, holy crap. How do you miss eight consecutive shots in a college basketball game? Bad enough Alabama couldn't hit free throws on Sunday night. Now you dopes can't hit threes and can't hit easy laps that my five-year-old cousin can make. This is pathetic. And then Vader gets a second chance to, 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 to try to, to try to reverse this wrongs. He doesn't learn his lesson. Oh, let's pop up another three again. Do they practice late in-game situational basketball in Ann Arbor? Got Vader dribbling up to the top of the key, hoisting up a three that airballs. I mean, are you kidding me? When you're down one point with 6.7 seconds left to go. You're down one point. Go for the two. Get, get an easy dunk to win you the game. Some boy's trying to go for the highlight, flashy, viral YouTube clip. Go see if you're trying to cross him over James Arden at a game winning three. You're not Damian Lillard. Then he gets a second chance. Gets the ball, hoists up three, misses it. Get a third chance. Third chance. Third chance. Half a second left. Inbound it. Catch. Shoot for three. Again, why? Instead of playing for the old time, shoot for the three. Oh, you, you miss it. I, 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 I I was so annoyed, and, I, and if you want me to, to go to Mike and Yossi to 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 harp all over UCLA, you got the wrong you got the wrong program, you you got the wrong show. This was as bad. I mean, and and oh my gosh, I can't believe how how bad of a sequence that was. On the women's side, we don't know how much time's left on the clock, and we shoot up and we and we hoist up half court shots with five and a half seconds left. And then on the men's side, when we're down one point, let's yeah, you know, let's act like we're Damian Lillard and shoot, try to shoot the highlight game-winning three from the mid-court logo instead of going inside a pin or settling for a mid-range jump shot. Well, you're down one point. 
And when you're down two, you don't bother to play for the overtime. They're like, oh, well, it's like, oh, they we, they saw what the Alabama did to them with the with the game tying three to send it send UCLA and Alabama in overtime. Let's try that too. Just always up nine million threes, and none of them go in. My goodness, do they practice late in game scenarios in Ann Arbor, men's and the women's side? Do they do they do that? Do they do that? On the women's side, do they know how much time is left on the clock? Or on the men's side, do they know that when you're down that when you're down two or when you're down one lousy point, not to hoist up a three, try to act like the hero. And just get the lousy two so you can take the lead with a half a second left and get on out of there and go to the final four. Wagner, seven feet tall, hoisting up threes. When you're when you're down a basket, I got a seven feet tall guy who's dominated the paint all tournament long, and I got him and I got him hoisting up threes like he's Ray Allen at the top of the key. You gotta be kidding me. Either of them, women's, men's, do they practice? In the gym, I know they haven't been in Ann Arbor in a while, but do they practice late in-game situational basketball? Do they do it? Women's and men's side. Do the women know how much time is left on the clock? Or on the men's side, do they know not to hoist up threes when you're down one lousy point? Just stupid. Absolutely stupid. Pay attention. My goodness gracious, it ain't that difficult. You should know better not to, when you're down one lousy point not to hoist up nine million threes. Just to miss them, brick them, or airball them all. And learn how to get in the lap lines too. My goodness gracious. Anyway. Had to get that off my chest. To the rest of the action that took place this weekend in the NCAA tournament. Let me take a breath right quick. Okay. Let's continue. Sweet 16, the Elite 8. Elite eight, excuse me, on the men's side. And oh, by the way, in uh, in the Baylor UConn game, see that this this is what in the Baylor UConn game on the women's side the other night, which ended up being a great game that I should have watched. Uh, that's a bad job on my part, but and I've said this a lot. I'd really like to know what these referees look at when they're supposed to be watching and refereeing the basketball game. Because you cannot sit up here and tell me that in that last possession in that game, Baylor's got the ball with about six with six seconds left. Drive their girl drives into the paint to hoist up a shot and she takes a, she and she gets a forearm to the face. 
can you please explain to me what in the hell were the referees looking at to the point where they did not call a blatant, obvious shooting foul? I I, 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 I I swear, I do not what in what in God's name do the refs look at when they're supposed to be referee in a basketball game? Anyone that's got a set of working eyes that has a functioning brain that ha that understand the basic rules of basketball would have would have saw and would have watched that that was indeed a shooting foul. I mean, I don't, I don't. It's it's the refs in all sports. I understand what these refs are doing. I understand. I understand. I don't know what they're thinking about. I don't know what they're looking at. I I I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Clearly takes an arm to the clearly gets fouled, and not one whistle. I I I I I don't know I don't know I don't know what in the world these refs look at when it's supposed to be refereeing a basketball game. I I I have no genuine clue. I have no idea. I I I I have I I I cannot fathom how badly some of these people in the zebra stripes referee can referee or lack or lack thereof an ability to referee a basketball game i it, it just befuddles me and it just blows my mind how poorly some of these referees in all sports basketball football all of them how badly they they can just ruin and just tank a mood of a game because they simply don't know how to do their job i mean it, it, re it really 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 is astonishing when you think about it it really really is it really is I mean, my, I mean, my goodness, Grace. I don't know what in the world these refs look at when they're supposed to be refereeing a basketball game or what. But I mean, my goodness gracious, can can take the blindfolders off, referees, and pay attention. Now, finally, to recap the Sweet Sixteen and the Elite Eight. Sister Jean and Loyola Chicago finally uh, said good night. Uh, courtesy of uh, Oregon State, who took care of them on Saturday, only to lose to uh, only to lose to uh, Houston the other night by six, sixty-seven, seventy-eight. Uh, came back and made the game it made the game interesting, ha and had the lead at one point in time in that game. Uh, you can thank my brother for that because the brother it was like twelve minutes left, and Houston was up I th by like double digits. And it was like, oh, this game's a ball. They're not going to come back. And lo and behold, Oregon comes back to tie the game up, only for Houston to go away and win the game by six. They ended up taking care of business. They will go on to the Final Four. They beat Oregon State 67-61. Baylor took care of business against uh, Villanova on Saturday. Was not a contest at all in that game. Didn't expect it to. Took care of business against Arkansas and won 81-72 on Monday. Um, and then, of course, uh, you had on Saturday, Syracuse, a uh, uh, disgraceful performance from Syracuse. Buddy Bayheim, Syracuse Orange, the whole bit, could not shoot the ball off a boat into off a boat into the Atlantic Ocean was absolutely horrendous horrendous offensive basketball on the part of the uh, Syracuse Orange on Saturday night um Arkansas edged out Oral Roberts by 272 to 70 
Um, that's what was, that was your action on Saturday. And then on Sunday, Gonzaga beat the brakes off of Creighton, uh, 83-65. Michigan took care of business against Oregon State, 76-58. Alabama, or excuse me, UCLA beat Alabama by 10 because Alabama couldn't, can, could, uh, could not make a damn free throw to save their life. I mean, my, you want to talk about as, as, as uh, you can't be more disgraceful at the free throw line than Alabama on Sunday night. That was the original thing I was going to come on here and scream about prior to last night. They, as a team, they were 11 for 25 from the free throw line. That is 44%. That is despicable how bad Alabama was at the free throw line on sat on Sunday night. Despicably bad. How in the world, as a basketball team that's supposed to be competing for a national championship, how in the world do you shoot 44% from the free throw line? How? How, how is that possible? How is that possible? As a team, not, not the one individual shooting 44%, as a team, a team shoot 44% from the free throw line. How? 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 I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know. And if anyone has the answers to me, please let me know. So see, two seed, one SEC, this, that, and the other one, the same level as, as the Alabama football team, where school of champions, blah, 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 and you dopes can't even hit a free throw to save your life. Disgraceful. They had a little bit of excitement late game time, three center in overtime, only for their offense not to show up, not to show up in the overtime period, and ended up losing to UCLA by ten. Pathetic. And USC against uh, Gonzaga, not a contest. Gonzaga absolutely dominated. Um, they they will kill UCLA on on a Saturday night at eight thirty four. They will absolutely destroy him. I mean, absolutely destroy him. Gonzaga watching Gonzaga's offense is a thing of beauty. I mean, the how, how efficiently they are on the offensive side of basketball is just a is just a thing of beauty to watch. You see, and I and then I screamed and yelled about UCLA and Michigan and Michigan missing eight consecutive shots within the last. Three minutes and change of that basketball game. Can't hit layups, missing threes left and right when they're down one, one or two points instead of playing for the instead of getting the easy basket for the win or getting the easy uh, mid-range jumper to uh, send the game in overtime. No, instead Franz Wagner, seven feet tall, shooting, uh, hoisting up, shooting threes. You know, f- from at the top of the key, th- from the top of the th- from the top of the key, like he's Damian Lillard. I oh, it was just so bad. Michigan last night. I wanted to. I wanted to freaking vomit watching that game last night. I mean, that is as pathetic and as disgraceful of a performance as far as late in as far as in game late uh, situational basketball is concerned. I mean, that Michigan and that in in the last three minutes and change of that game was so horrendous. They were offensive to the senses. Is how bad they were the other night. Michigan and UCLA shoot hoisting up jump shots and couldn't make any of them if the fate of the universe depended on it. Absolutely, positively pathetic. 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 Absolutely pathetic. Franz Wagner gets a second chance, a second chance to rewrite his wrong and obviously never heard the definition of insanity, hoist up another three instead of going inside for the two for the tie. 
I mean, you 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 got to be kidding me. You have got you've got to be kidding me. And they screwed up my bracket. And now I'm sitting here looking after I essentially mocked my brother for about a week picking Houston to win a national championship. Well, look who's in the final four. Houston and not Michigan. Because Michigan, apparently, their logic is when you're down one, round two, hoist up a three to make yourself look like the hero instead of Christian Leitner style, get a get a gimme mid-range jump shot that you can hit with your eyes closed and just go for the tie. Or when you were down one, just win the game right there and don't go for the and don't go for the and don't go for the home run all in one swing. Disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. Again, does Michigan women's and men's one more time do they practice in-game situational basketball up in Ann Arbor? Because from what I saw on the women's side on Saturday afternoon and what I saw from the men's side last night, it does not look like that they do. Because that was absolutely, positively embarrassing, pathetic, and egregious, egregious situational basketball. On the women's side, we don't know how much time is left on the clock. On the men's side, we can't do simple math and realize when we're down two to take the two to go for the overtime. Or when we're down the one, go for the two and just win the game right there. And in the process, milk more clock instead of essentially, you know, hoisting up a three, leaving six seconds left on the clock. So by the time UCLA gets the rebound, the game's pretty much over out of reach. And, you know, nail in the coffin, your season's over, go back to Michigan. Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Eight consecutive shots missed with from 338 in the second half on. Three consecutive layups and three consecutive three-point attempts all missed. And, and I could have punched a hole in the wall when Wagner put up that layup, or that not that layup, that three-pointer that airballed last night. Pathetic. I got a good show for you today. Taped Mad Dog earlier this morning. He was, he was, you know, on fire like he usually is. Phenomenal job. I actually enjoyed that spot with him uh, earlier this morning. Then uh, when he came on back in August, you'll enjoy him. He came on to talk about the baseball and get into a little bit of the Laurel Canyon stuff, much to my chagrin. And then... Daniel Oyefusi of the Baltimore Sun. He's up next. This is the Amatelic TIS podcast. Don't go anywhere. Back after this. Joining me now is a sports and uh, Ravens breaking news reporter of the Baltimore Sun, making his Amatelic TIS podcast debut to talk all things Terps in the 2021 NCAA tournament. Welcome to the program, Daniel Oyefusi. Daniel, how are you to do? Uh, how are you today, pal? Doing all right? How are we doing? Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, man, anytime. So before we get into the college basketball and break it down, Maryland, all that sort of stuff is concerned, give the audience a little the audience a little bit of a uh, feel on your career and and you know, your uh, you know, a little bit of a little autobiography up until at uh, this point you started writing for the Baltimore Sun. 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm from uh, the Baltimore area. I grew up in um, Towson specifically. I went to Towson High School, um, and then I went to the University of Maryland. And, um, you know, I, I had various internships, wrote for different campus publications um, throughout my four years um, at, at Maryland. And um, a couple uh, weeks or months before graduation, I was blessed with the opportunity to come back home um, with this position. So after a summer um, post-grad internship uh, in Memphis, I, I came back and I started um, August, 2019, about two or three weeks before the 2019 NFL season. Um, so, you know, my, my main beat is Ravens. So during the football season, I, I'll be on Ravens, but um, our longtime writer took a buyout um, beginning of 2020. Um, so I was approached with the opportunity to join the Maryland Athletics beat covering Maryland basketball, Maryland football. And, um, you know, I've kind of been running with it ever since. So, um, you know, I covered about the last quarter of the 2020 season and unfortunately COVID hit and I wasn't able to cover the Big Ten tournament or the uh, NCAA tournament. But, um, you know, I was blessed that, you know, they were able to complete this past season and um, I was able to go up to Indy for to cover the tournament. So that was a great opportunity. Good, good, good to uh... Now, as a give us the audience a little bit of feel, you know, so you Baltimore guy born and raised, you know, essentially lived here all your life. Yeah. Um, what was that? What was that moment with you that clicked said, I want to go into the sports journalism field. And this is something, you know, writing and commenting about sports is something that I want to do for a living. Yeah, well, I mean, I've always been interested in sports, um, you know, like watching the Ravens and the Wizards and uh you know, other local teams and stuff like that. So sports has always like kind of really been in my background and playing sports as well. Um, you know, I grew up watching ESPN too all the time. So that was just like something I kind of um, I emulate the broadcasters and stuff like that. And I, and I really grew up reading the sun, which was kind of like, which is why this is such a full circle moment for me. Um, so, so really early on, you know, when I was in high school, uh, I think my junior year, summer going into my senior year, I started my own sports blog and I was doing a lot of the same stuff that they were doing in the sun. So it was, it was really early on. And, um, you know, just uh, it was great that I went to Maryland, which has a, an amazing journalism program at Merrill. Um, so it, it was pretty early on, honestly, it was just a matter of kind of finally, finally, like really locking in into it. And uh, like I said, getting those um, opportunities and experiences. Gotcha. What what sports did you play growing up as a kid? Yeah, it was nothing crazy. I I did a couple of years of like rec, summer rec leagues and basketball in Towson, and then um, I played football on Towson's JV uh, JV team my sophomore year. I didn't get too much playing time, but uh, <laughs> I was really fun. And then I ran track for like two weeks. Like I wanted to build up my speed, but I remember my last uh, or our first. Uh, our first meet, I ran like the four by four with these other guys. And I don't know, like I'm, I'm not the fastest person, but I guess they didn't realize. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to like brag on myself or poop or anybody <laughs> else, but I got put in like the worst heat for the four by four. So I was the anchor. I was pretty much like the anchor on the worst four by four team. And um, so it's like first meet spring and, um, you know, we're running it's the last event, too. So I had to stay there for like the entire like two, three hours, last and final event of the night. And it's dark outside and I'm the anchor and I'm like watching my other three, you know, teammates and they are getting, they're getting lapped and we're just like, it's just bad. And finally, by the time like I get the baton, there's like nobody, but pretty much everyone's done. And it's pitch black dark outside and I got to run all the way around by myself. And it was just terrible, it was a terrible experience. And I just like, I left after that and I never came back, so. I got you. Gotcha. How old are you, by the way? I'm 23. 
19, so 1990, what, seven? seven? Yeah, okay, gotcha. So let's uh, let's jump right into it as far as uh, the Terps. By the way, I'm trying to, me personally, I'm a uh, freshman in college and I'm trying to transfer to the University of Maryland College Park because I want to get into you know, uh, sports talk radio and play-by-play mm-hmm. -play broadcasting on television, so everything else. But speaking of Maryland, uh, let's jump right into it as far as the men's side is concerned. Um, had a decent season. They got a uh, they got a bid into the NCAA tournament. Uh, got got destroyed by Alabama in the uh, round of uh, in the round of uh, thirty two. Yeah. Give uh, give the audience give the audience a feel of what it's of uh, that whole entire 2020, 2021 Maryland basketball season. Yeah, it was an interesting season to say the, the least. Um, you know, they didn't really come in with the fanfare of the 2019 team. And um, by the end of the season, that was a team that was, you know, before COVID hit, that was a team that many expected to make a big run, maybe to the Final Four. Um, it was it was no doubt one of Mark Churton's two or three best teams of his of his 10 years at Maryland. Um, so, you know, with Anthony Cowan leaving, with Jalen Smith leaving, um, nobody really had big expectations for this team. But, you know, they were still, like, quality returning pieces, you know, whether it was Aaron Wiggins or Eric Ayala or, or Dante Scott. Um, you know, Maryland missed out in the transfer portal um, last offseason. So it was, you know, they entered the season with, like, as an undersized team, team that didn't really have a true center. Um, they didn't really have a true point guard to replace Kyle. And so, um, you know, once the once the conference schedule started, I mean, I mean, it was it was a struggle. You know, they started one and five. They couldn't really score. They couldn't really defend guys. They were just getting beat up in the paint. And, um, you know, it kind of hit a low point, really, when they lost to they lost to Penn State and they dropped to like four and eight or so. And then a couple of days later, they lost to Ohio State and they dropped to four and nine. Um, but they were able to turn around and, uh, you know, I, I give credit. I know Mark Turkin gets a lot of hate around um, College Park and in Maryland, but I mean, I'll give him a lot of credit for um, keeping those guys locked in, you know, despite losing in COVID. And, um, you know, they're obviously able to win five straight games, um, kind of really get their, get themselves into the bubble and then play themselves off the bubble and into a solid tournament spot. Um, and then, and really, I kept on saying it. I felt like making the tournament was um, a success for the season in itself and kind of an overachievement. And for them to win that tournament game, that opening round game against uh, UConn was like a icing on the cake. Obviously, the season didn't end the way people wanted with that loss to Alabama. I, I didn't really think they were going to be able to beat Alabama. And I'm not sure how many teams would have been able to beat Alabama the way they were shooting. Um, but, you know, obviously right. that coming to an end. Now the big question is what's going on with Turgeon. He has two years left on the contract. Obviously half the fan base wants to run him out of town. The other half is like kind of apathetic or whatever. And they don't, they just don't really care as much. And they, they'd be on board with extending him. So that's really like, I feel like we're all just kind of looking at the clock waiting to see what Damon Evans and uh, the program does with Turgeon's contract. Right. And do, what do you say? Because Maryland and I went, Maryland had a nine and 11 uh, in conference record in the Big Ten. What do you say to people that go out there and, and say, well, you know, the NCAA, you know, was nice. The committee was nice to, you know, let them in. You know, people saying, you know, should they have had that automatic bid into the first round? Should they 
you know, swap because uh, Michigan State beat Michigan. I believe it was the regular season finale. Should they and Michigan should have swapped spots and Maryland should have played in the first four? Or should Maryland, you know, what what do you say to people that make the argument that Maryland really got lucky, as, you know, being in this NCAA tournament? Uh, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't call it luck. I mean, if any team had to kind of grind their way through the season, it was Maryland. And I would say just kind of look at the the production, you know, or the the product. You know, Michigan State lost their first uh, four game, albeit to an UC- UCLA team that's now in the Final Four. I mean, we got to give them credit, but right. they still lost that game. Um, that I mean, all the betting money was on UCLA to beat Maryland. And to be honest, Maryland handled that game. I mean, I know they won by nine points, but they handled that game really from the middle of the first half onward um so i would say i mean of course like even turgeon himself said hey like we probably wouldn't have gotten into the tournament if it's not if not for the teams that we had to beat in the in the conference and i you know they had a sub 500 record but i mean uh, a 9 11 and 11 record holds a little and then big 10 it holds a little more weight than it than it may hold in some other um some other conferences although the, the big 10 kind of wet the bed in the tournament um, so I, I wouldn't call it luck, you know, if any team had to really get it out the mud and, and prove that they deserve a spot at it's Maryland. Right. Now, as far as covering this tournament is concerned, did you have to cover it at home via Zoom call? Were you uh, on location in Indianapolis? Give the audience a feel of how you had to uh, cover the Terps uh, th- during the NCAA tournament with COVID and everything else. Yeah, so, um, you know, I'll start with in the regular season. I just went to the home games. I, I didn't really, I didn't go to any of the away games, even if it was Rutgers or Penn State, um, just just for COVID reasons. But um, you know, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to go to Indy for the NCAA tournament. So I actually went for the first four game with Mount St. Mary's, which they're also in Maryland. I was able to cover that mm-hmm. on um when Thursday, and then um, I covered Maryland's opening round game on Saturday, and then obviously the the second round came, the round of thirty two game on on the following Monday. So I was able to cover uh, Maryland's run um, in its entirety in Indianapolis. And that was really cool just to, you know, I, I covered all the games at College Park and Xfinity Center, but they didn't have any spectators up until the the regular season finale at home against Penn State. Um, so it was really cool to kind of be in an atmosphere like the, um, the game against UConn was like the most normal thing I've probably experienced in the past year just because it wasn't a full stadium but you had UConn fans right in front of us and then you had Maryland fans on the other side and they're going back and forth so it was a, it was a really cool atmosphere and then I mean, even on Monday you know like the Alabama fans were coming out like crazy it was probably 70 30 skewing to the Alabama fans and they were doing the roll tide chants and, and all that stuff so right. it was a really cool experience to like actually not only cover a game in person but you know start to have those those fan and that fan atmosphere back there that's what really makes these games special i mean the games, are good. the games are good in themselves but i mean when you get the noise and i kind of miss you know having to follow a last minute gamer and having all the fan reaction and kind of using that and kind of getting a feel for the energy and putting it into the story so it's great that we're starting to have that um that element back Absolutely. That's one of the things that I, and I've heard this from everybody, people telling me, you know, the, the big essence of college basketball is, is the fact that they have those 20, 25 some odd thousand fans and packed in that arena 
yeah. going nuts you know a lot of them a bunch of young kids in their 20s anything else that's that energy that you missed throughout the regular season that people heading into this tournament were afraid that was going to take a, that was going to take it away a little bit it hasn't affected me as much you know because they have enough to the point where they you know where if a big play happens they put the camera and you see a nice little section pack of fans going nuts so it hasn't affected me but i've heard that throughout the i've heard that throughout the entire tournament one of my um one of my uh, buddies who goes to the University of, of uh, Wisconsin, who I had on about a few weeks ago before the tournament started, you know, mm-hmm. said, uh, you know, it's it's very it's very different watching the game, you know, in that arena in Madison, and there's nobody there. But that's an ex- excellent point. Now I know now is uh, for when it came time for the post game press conferences, they'd have to do it over Zoom like we're doing now, correct? Like you couldn't correct. You couldn't yeah, walk yeah. in. Okay. Everything's this whole season's been entirely Zoom. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, real quick, now real quick, before I go back to the men's side and uh, get into a little bit of that, go to the women's side as far because I had, you know, I am a bracket, I'm a bracket, I'm a bracket, bracket addict. I made, I have made like five of them. One of them I ripped up and threw them in the trash because Michigan bothered the hell out of me with that loss against UCLA the other night. But I made a, I made one women's bracket and I had Maryland winning the whole thing. And they and they couldn't deliver on Sunday night against Texas. Give the audience a feel of the 2021 women's Maryland Terrapins basketball team. Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of the most fun teams, you know, I can recall. You know, I, I don't I don't cover the women's side um, for the Sun. We have a great writer, um, Catherine, who, who does that. But, you know, I, I was following her coverage and watching these games. And this was a fun team to watch. Um, and it's a pretty remarkable team that was able to come together given um, that you know, the women's side, they, they lost like each starter, every starter from last year. And I think six players in total, just through transfers and graduation stuff like that. So for, for so for Brenda Freeze to kind of like tap into the transfer portal and get these different players from different schools and then get Angel Reese come in as a freshman and um, Angel Reese went down early in the season and they were just rolling, they were just steamrolling teams. Um, it was a really fun team to watch. And that's almost what makes it so much more disappointing and so much more like, like sad, you know, for fans that they weren't able to really get it done or, you know, kind of make make that deep, deep run into like the final four. Um, you know, Texas play, I thought, I thought, you know, the way the way Maryland came out against Texas, I thought they were gonna blow them out by halftime. You know, they just quickly went out to nine and kind of like they've been they've been doing against teams. Uh, but Texas played a great game. They played great defense. And you know, that that's like the madness of March, whether it's the men's side or the women's side, you know, all it takes is one game, one half for you to go cold and the other team to, to get it rolling and then you're out. So uh, I thought it was a great season for sure. Um, a little disappointing that, um, you know, they weren't able to get it done. But I think that, you know, if, if I think they can have everybody come back. If everybody comes back, that's another year of experience. Um, hopefully you don't have any COVID stuff in place that like prevents you from off-season practice. I think they got as good of a chance next year. To win the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, obviously, you know that like the Yukons and the South Carolinas and uh, those types of teams are, are always going to be there. But I mean, this was like, I mean, this team is in the top half of the AP poll for like literally the entire year. And uh, there were some people that thought they should have been higher over the course of the year. So I think they got a real good chance next year. Going back to uh, the men's side, any talks, any talks that you've heard, you know, whether it's co-workers or across that Maryland campus you're an alumni she would know about uh about because you mentioned that Turgeon has two years left of his contract 
You th- what do you, you think they're going to bring him back? Do you think that if they make it to the tournament in 2022 and he and, and they don't get any further, let's say past the Sweet 16, you think, you know, they're going to cut him loose? You know, what's uh, what's uh, Turgeon's deal down in Maryland for the future? Yeah, well, I'll start off with saying that it's a, it's a very complex um, situation. It's not as easy as um, extend him or just let him go. Um, people got to remember if if they fire him, they have to buy him out of the contract. Um, right. And when he was extended, when he re, when he signed a contract extension back in 2016 with then athletic director Kevin Anderson, I mean, there was like no real buyout provision it was just they owe him they owe him the remainder of the contract and I think it's like I have to bring up the contract again but it's, it's something like they would owe him like 50 percent or some some large portion of that within like the next couple of weeks um, of, of buying him out so I mean this isn't a it's not I mean Maryland's not really in a position given their financial constraints for the past couple of years they're not really in a position to just like eat eat his money like that I don't think they're going to get a a donor like Indiana or wherever that was, where a booster just um, signed a, a check for $10 million to buy the coach out of this contract. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, there have been like talks and kind of like, I haven't really seen any like firm media reporting. I've seen more like betting odds and then um, pundits just kind of like throwing it out there like, hey, do you think uh, Turgeon would um, be enticed by the Oklahoma job? I, I haven't seen any legitimate reporting on that. And I mean, there they, there have been reports, two reports today, today saying that Turgeon doesn't want to leave this area. Doesn't seem like he wants to leave this, uh, this job. Um, you know, they, him and his staff have kind of been acting as if they were going to be there for for the next season because they're under contract. So they're reaching out to recruits and and um, transfer options who are in the portal right now. But I mean, everybody makes a good point that what what player who's gonna, who has three or more years eligible, uh, years of eligibility remaining, what player like that is gonna come to Maryland if they don't know if the coach is gonna be here next week, which is why people are saying like, we gotta make a decision, whether it's um, firing him, buying him out, or extending him, even if it's for two years and you have four years on the deal. Um, but my my whole my whole premise is, you know, um, if you're firing him and parting ways with him now, you're not doing it because of the season that he just had. You're doing it for the totality of the ten years that he's had in College Park um, in the one Sweet Sixteen um, appearance. You know, so I don't think it'd be me personally. Me personally, I think that it'd be kind of a a weird and not the best look for a program to part ways with the coach who had arguably his best coaching job of his 10 years, albeit it didn't result in a Sweet 16 appearance and albeit he's only had one in 10 years. Um, But I completely understand the people who would say it's time to part ways and see if we can get something better. Um, So my whole thing is like, you can't be in and out if you're gonna extend him two years I mean, that's kind of like a, a fluke extension. Last time you got a six-year extension or something like that, or a four-year extension. Um, if you're going to give him an extension, give him a legitimate extension because you want him to be here and you have faith in him, a two-year extension, I don't feel like that's going to restore much faith or give the impression that you have a lot of faith in him. You know, if you got to eat the $6 million and get your guy, um, it might not be the best for the program financially right now, but if you're able to get the person that you want, you can take Maryland to that next level that these crazy fans want it to be. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do it and get the ball rolling. Absolutely. Uh, switching gears now to the big, to the big 10 and there, you know, dissect them for a couple minutes. 
Any what? Can you pinpoint the reason why the Big Ten, who had more bids than anyone in this tournament, fizzled out as bad as it did? Wisconsin didn't make it past the second round. Uh, Maryland fizzled out in the second round. Rutgers blew a lead to uh, Rutgers blew a lead to Houston in the second round. You go ahead and you look. You know Michigan. You know they. they you know they were the only team left standing, but they lost last night to UCLA. I mean, what what in the world was the Michigan State couldn't make it out the first four? What was the reason why Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts, with, which bothered the hell out of me? What what are the reasons why you think Michigan or not Michigan, but the Big Ten, but the Big Ten teams in general did not perform well in this NCAA tournament? Yeah, it's really been like the talk of the tournament since like the the second night or really yeah, or as soon as you know Ohio State and Purdue went down. And I've seen so many theories about um, them beating each other up or the style of play. Um, I would say, I would say it's just really like it goes back to like the madness of March. You know, it's it's about it's about you know this time of the year. It's like it's almost like what you did before in the regular season it doesn't really matter. Like we can look at Ohio State; they 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 made it to the to the um to the Big Ten championship game and then they got knocked out the first round by a 15 seed. So I mean, it, when you get down to these single elimination tournaments and these single elimination games, it's like it's really about um how you play on that one night and how the other team is. Like I said, if you catch a team that's hot and you're not on your A game, that can be it. Um, I think that overall it's just kind of like a collective underperforming but even so I mean you look at a team like um like Rutgers who was able to beat a seven seed or a team like Maryland that was able to beat a seven seed as a as a double digit seed I mean I mean I, I don't think that their runs were necessarily like failures or whatever but I understand the people who look at the Big Ten and say like oh I mean they're overrated I don't say that um but um, somebody who uh, I used to go to school with, Brandon Simberg, who goes to the University of Illinois right now, he he wrote a, a great piece a couple of days ago about um, kind of like looking at the root of the Big Ten's issues. And it really came down to like, they just, as good as they were this season, like just naturally kind of compared to other conferences, like they haven't gotten the the as many blue chip and five-star and four-star recruits as um, other conferences like the ACC or the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or whatever, um, you know, he kind of like, you, you you can look it up and hit, hit, look up his name and look for the story in the Daily Atlanta. But like, there was some, there was one conference that had like doubled the, the five and four star recruits and, you know, coaching is very important in this game for sure. Like more, really more so, more so important on the college level than the NBA level. Um, but you, right. still gotta have, you still gotta have the guys. I mean, there's a reason why people didn't, have expectations high expectations for Maryland this season because they lost two all-conference players they lost a, a four-year starter and a guy who was picked number 10 in the NBA draft um last summer um so it really comes down to like getting those guys and getting those those high-level recruits that you um that might not that might stay for an extra year or two and then getting that cohesiveness in your teams and having like a high collection of talent Absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean, it was just one by one teams were just go, dropping left and right like flies. Ohio State, that defense didn't show up against Oregon. The Illinois uh, didn't show up against Loyola Chicago uh, about a week or two ago. I mean, it's just been an absolute. Now, on the flip side, uh, the Pac-12 has been absolutely outstanding. They had, you have the US, USC made it to the Elite Eight. 
Oregon made it to the Sweet 16. You go ahead and you look, UCLA started in the first four. They're now in the final four. You go ahead and you, you know, Oregon, Oregon State performed very well in this tournament. What do you think? And then also keep in mind the fact that, yeah, you know, with Michigan losing last night, all the teams that are in the final four are west of the Mississippi River. Two yeah. of them are two of them are in Texas, UCLA in California in the California, and then Gonzaga up in the state of Washington. And with that, you know, four teams being west of the Mississippi River that are quote unquote on Western teams that are in the final four, and include that with the fact that, you know. That uh, that um, North Carolina got destroyed by Wisconsin in the first round. Kansas got absolutely was pathetic against uh, USC the, uh, in the uh, second round, beat them by thirty something points. And then look at the fact that Duke and Kentucky didn't even make the NCAA tournament. Is the balance of power in college basketball in your eyes switching? from the East Coast with those blue blood schools and then all the other schools that, you know, the Syracuse's of the world and teams like that, it's the balance of power shifting, especially with all the big Big Ten teams uh, dropping like flies this tournament. It's the balance of power in college basketball shifting in your eyes from the East Coast and the Midwest to more of the uh, West Coast and part of the United States with the Pac-12 being as good as it was in this tournament. Uh. I mean, I guess that's to be determined, but if I had to like really give a concrete answer, I don't think so. And I'll admit like, <clears throat> I'll admit that I have a little bit of East Coast bias. You know, I've, I've actually had, I had a summer internship out in LA. So I love LA, I love California, but I'll admit I have a little bit of East Coast bias. And um, a lot of people have made a good point. You know, those games come on late. So we don't really see those teams as much. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not watching Pac-12 games too often unless I'm just kind of up off up on a random Thursday night, um, you know, I'm watching Big right. Ten um, for the most part. And if I'm not watching Big Ten uh, basketball, I'm watching ACC basketball, you know. Um, right, yeah. Obviously with um, with those, a lot of those standard blue, blue buds not making the tournament, like a, like a Duke or a Kentucky or whatever. And then you have UNC um, get, getting beat in the first round. I'm, I understand where people say that. Um, I, I think we don't have last year's tournament to base based off of so you know all we have is two years ago and um that was the Zion year at Duke where um you know I think they made it to the Elite Eight before getting knocked out by, by Michigan State um but even even Michigan team like Michigan State I, I think they'll be back and better um next season as they um bring in another really good recruiting class and they uh, make some get some impact transfers uh I, but I, I wouldn't say that I think uh, this is such a weird year that it's like it's almost to be expected. Like when you, you kind of look back at this year and you think of all the crazy things that happened and all across the country and in the sports realm, it's like, we'll kind of remember it as like that weird year where, you know, Duke and Kentucky didn't make the tournament and whatnot. And um, right. but I feel like they'll be back, you know, those are, I mean, they're blue butts for a reason. I don't think that they're, they're, um, it was a, maybe it was a down year for them. I think they'll be back even, you know, with Jalen Johnson at, at Duke, you know, that just didn't work out and he ended up leaving early. But, um, you know, I think those teams will be back in. Um, but I think it's a, it's a cool thing that, you know, we're having the team like UCLA get back to the Final Four, and then you're having a team like Gonzaga, which isn't really in a big media market. I think it's great that um, they're doing well, and even teams like Houston and, and Baylor, um, who, who aren't, like, really necessarily as high profile, but they're doing great things in the South. So I, I think it's cool. I think we'll probably see a little bit of the balance get tipped back. Uh, I think we'll see some of those blue bloods, some of those East Coast teams um, start to get things right next year. But um, I, I think 
it's been a very unusual season. And <laughs> so it's like, it's almost like perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, you know, just been a complete, uh, you know, complete. That's why the tournament's great. That's why we missed it last year is because, you know, it's expect the unexpected. Going into the, uh, before I get into the final four, I had a question I was going to ask you. I forget what it was, but, um, but what, you know, have you enjoyed this tournament more uh, than in tournaments past? You know, oh, now I know what it is. Now I know what the question I was going to ask you. Um, do you miss Maryland being a part of the ACC and those rivalries with the Dukes and the North Carolinas and, you know, all those old time rivalries with the ACC schools. Do you miss Maryland being a part of the ACC or do you like the fact that they're, you know, with the big boys as far as I know college basketball, you know, you don't mind a little bit of a challenge because college football, you get destroyed with by Ohio State and the Wisconsin's and the Michigan's of the world in football. But as from a basketball standpoint, do you miss being a part of the ACC as far as Maryland's concerned? Yes or no? So I guess it's like a bit of a confession and it'll kind of like, I'll, I'll probably repeat myself a little bit with what you were about to ask. But um, I mean, growing up in the area, like I watched Maryland, but uh, first of all, I'm like, I was born in 97. So um, right. I, I, like, I don't have memory of Maryland's championship season in 02. I was four years old back then. Um, right. So I, I really don't have like that institutional knowledge of Maryland that some some older people might have. And I wasn't like a big college basketball or really college sports fan growing up, to be honest. Like I was I was primarily like NFL, NBA. That was it. Um, yeah, my earliest memories are like the grievous Vasquez years. Um, I remember I think it was around a 32 game, maybe like 2010 or so. They they lost on like a game game winner against Michigan State and that's like one of the earliest memories I have and I think that like that's probably why I'm a little bit like detached or like less connected to the whole like turning situation and I feel like I'm a little more rational with it just because like I didn't really grow up with that institutional knowledge so I'm not like comparing it to Gary Williams or Lefty Giselle or, or, or anything like that but I will say while I understand the purists who miss Maryland being in the ACC, I think obviously from financial impact, that's probably, that's really what runs it, you know, obviously from a financial um, standpoint, it's, it was a better opportunity for, for, for Maryland. But I mean, outside of like, like Duke in North Carolina, it's like, and maybe like UVA or something like that. Like, I mean, was it, like what was there? I mean, I might be, I might be speaking out of turn. I might be naive, but I always kind of viewed Maryland as like, like the little the little brother of UNC and, and Duke that was always kind of like punching up um and every once in a while they got they got a good hit on them and they upset a team right. like Duke or North Carolina and Maryland obviously had, had some really great seasons in, in the early 2000s and I I think that like Maryland kind of has like a bit of a bit of, of an identity crisis in the Big Ten um in terms of like you know there's no real there's no real um, rivalries. Like the closest team to them is like Penn State, right. Rutgers, who also recently joined. So obviously they're they're in a bit of like no man's land, essentially. Like like what is Maryland's kind of like? Like what are they? Who are they in the Big Ten? I think they're still kind of figuring figuring that out. But um, just in terms of like the main sports, I mean, obviously football has kind of been rough the past couple of years, or really since they joined the Big Ten. But I mean, if you look at basketball, like I know people will. Will complain about the lack of like deep postseason appearances, but they've been one of the most successful teams on the men's and women's side of basketball. So I think that it's been a great move in terms of that. You think now a lot of other schools have done this as well, you know, where they, 
in one con, you know, in one sport they play in one conference, and in another sport they play in another con. You think Maryland would ever do that, or that's just, or that's just, you know, a mere aberration? I don't think or so. Like, I, yeah, where like they play, you know, like in, in like for their basketball program, their Big Ten, but football, their part, they've rejoined the ACC again, so they don't have to get destroyed by the top. Like, you ever see them doing anything like that, or no? Yeah, I know. I know some. I'm trying to think what program has recently done that. I'm I'm blanking right now, but I know some some team either in like the Big East or something has has done something similar to that. But I don't think so. And and I don't. I haven't really talked to any um anybody in the athletic department about that. But I'm I'm sure like there'd be some some stipulations and some like caveats in terms of like the revenue sharing and how that would work. So I, I don't think so. And I think that like. I mean, it's it's crazy. I know a lot of people will look at like football and be like, oh, we're like we're getting destroyed in football. But I mean, even like the other like revenue sports or the other smaller sports or non-revenue sports, like like field hockey is killing it. Soccer is killing it. Um, I'm I'm trying to think. There's I know some like I think lacrosse is still killing it. Like these like there are a lot of other sports that aren't football and basketball that have really dominated the conference since they moved over and they've just racked up championships and, and national uh, titles and stuff like that. Gotcha. Moving on to the, uh, let's do, let's recap last night's games. Um, Michigan and UCLA. I mean, I don't understand eight consecutive. You can't win a basketball game. You, as much as it bothered me because I had UCLA or excuse me, Michigan in my bracket, UCLA deserved to win. You miss eight consecutive shots from three thirty-eight in the second half in. You know, you miss three consecutive layups. Your three consecutive three-point attempts go for not got Wagner, seven feet tall, who dominates the paint like no other in college basketball, or so we thought. Had a horrendous night shooting the basketball. I mean, I, I, Michigan was absolutely horrendous because UCLA last night. Give me your thoughts on that game. Yeah, and I, I keep on going back to it. Like, all it takes is a half or, 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 or a spurt where you're just struggling. I give UCLA credit because they – They've got some guys who've just been making shots and playing well, like throughout the entire entire run. Whether it's Tiger Campbell or Hami Hakez, I think I'm saying his name right, or Johnny Juzang, um, who just been hooping. I mean, he, he was hooping last night. So I mean, like I said, it, it really doesn't matter. I think they lost their last four. I think UCLA lost their last four regular season games, and they were in the first four, yeah. not in the final four. So like I said, it's almost like what you do in the regular season really doesn't matter. Like, of course, you want to be playing quality basketball but I mean they're playing their best season their best ball of the season right now and, and it's showing and I'm not sure I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't put money on them to upset um Gonzaga or anything like that but I mean they're here so I mean they got as good a chance as anybody do you th- do you think or do you look at UCLA in this tournament as the quote-unquote Cinderella team because I don't because because they're UCLA there there's I understand that their run and this individual season with this individual team is is crazy how they had a rough ending to their regular season. They were in the first four, had to go to overtime to beat Michigan State. But the pro, the program in and of itself, you know, they're, they're, historically, you expect UCLA to be in, you expect UCLA to be in final forms. Like with baseball, for example, you expect the New York Yankees to compete for an AL pennant World Series every single year. And National League Dodgers, same thing. Football, you expect, you know, Brady and or Belichick to be in the mix for competing for Super Bowl. Chiefs, same thing. Like if the Chiefs somehow fall off and, uh, you know, and well, with the 17 games, go 10 and 7, 
and have to and have to play and have to play wild card weekend. Essentially, have to play all their games on the road, but end up making back to the Super Bowl. Do I look at them as a Cinderella team? No, because it's Mahomes, it's the Chiefs, it's Andy Reid. They're supposed to be competing for a championship every single year. Every single year. Do you look at UCLA? this year, this tournament, this team as the quote-unquote Cinderella team of the 2021 tournament? Yeah, I wouldn't say Cinderella because, like you said, they are UCLA. They have all that legendary history. I would say they're a feel-good story. Um, like I said, coming from the, the the first four to the final four, their head coach, um, you know, this is the best run of his career. I think this is his second year um, at UCLA. So for him to, um, you know, drag that team and rally that team. And yet I, I know they lost one player to the G League, um, Deshaun Nix, I, I believe they lost him to the G League. And then they lost another player to, to an injury, to a season any injury. So for them to be able to, to make this run, I would say it's kind of a magical run. I want to say it's a, it's a Cinderella story, but I'd say it's a feel-good story. I mean, to me, when, when you think of, uh, when you think of uh, Cinderella's, you think like the mid-majors, um, you know, that aren't really in the power five. You think of like the VCUs or the uh, maybe the Butlers or maybe the, the George Mason from from a while back. Um, so like I said, I think it's a feel-good story and it's a, it's a great story for UCLA to kind of like be back in this prominent setting. But I, I wouldn't say Cinderella. I think Oral Roberts was more of a Cinderella, although I, I right. think they're able to, I think they lost in the Sweet 16 or so. But that, that's more the, the Cinderella that I think of. On the other side of the bracket, Baylor and uh, Baylor and Houston, those two will match up in the uh, final four battle of uh, two Texas teams. Houston made it interesting a little bit against Oregon the other night. Um, they don't shoot the basketball real well, but it's but it's the intangible, but it's the intangibles that's a strong part of their game, rebounding defense, all that sort of stuff. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Baylor, they took care of business against Wisconsin handily, beat Villanova by double digits, took care of business against Arkansas the other night. What are you looking forward to seeing between Baylor and Houston on Saturday? I mean really it's just a matter of whether Houston can first kind of knock Baylor off off like the, the the way they're flowing on offense. I mean, when I, when I look at Baylor and Gonzaga, really like they just play offense a, a different way. Like they they they're always moving. It's fluid. This is like there's like a, there's a fluidity and a pace to it um, that really just I haven't I haven't seen out of there's very few other teams in this tournament that I've seen um, play like that. Um, and you know, Baylor just had Baylor has guys. I mean, they've got they've got like just like Gonzaga, they've got three or four guys who can just get it done. Um, I think Houston has some too, some as well. They might not be at the level of Baylor, but I think so as well. So it's gonna be really interesting to see whether um, Houston can kind of muck the game up with their defense and then um, make the key shots um, when, when they need to 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 get a win out. And Gonzaga and UCLA. I think it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing. You know, UCLA has been playing great, great defense. And like I said, they've got guys that can that can hit shots. Um, you know, it was, it's going to be interesting with Timmy down low because um, he's a guy like, like Dickinson that can really take over in the paint. And, um, you know, UCLA was able to handle Dickinson for the most part. Um, I think obviously Timmy's a little, a little better than, than him. I mean, it's not like the most running the break the other night too. And then in the fast break and getting things done in transition. So I think it's really going to be interesting. Um, but, but like I said, Gonzaga has just so many guys who can, who can get it done. Um, it's almost a matter of, you know, like, can you muck the game up and then can you, 
if, if you if they do start to make shots, can you kind of match them? And I think you still you still like can. I mean, we've seen it. Like they've got guys who can who can who can go one on one and then get get their own shots. Um, but you know, all along, I'll admit my original bracket, I had uh, Gonzaga and Illinois meeting up in the final. I think that was probably a bit of Big Ten bias because I, I was just watching so much Illinois and I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. some of the some of their key guys and the way they were playing. Obviously, Illinois backfired on me in the second round, but I was like a really, really confident. In, you and me both, um, yeah. That Gonzaga yeah. So I mean, if it wasn't if it wasn't Gonzaga, uh, Gonzaga, Illinois, I was thinking for sure it's going to be Gonzaga Baylor, and I see no reason why. It's not going to be that um, in a couple of days. So that's so that's your your national championship prediction, Baylor Gonzaga. Yeah, and I gotta go with Gonzaga. Like they just they just they just different. <laughs> like I'll admit, like I said, those are. I mean, Gonzaga's a West Coast team, but Baylor is like a South team. So I, I haven't watched them too much, but in the little I have, you can just you can just tell with some teams. Like they just play different. Um, they flow different. Um, they really don't have a lot of weaknesses, and you can just tell that right off the bat with uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. Absolutely. Daniel did a phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. Thank you. Thank you, of course. Anytime, my man, anytime. Don't be afraid to uh, – don't be a stranger, but uh, good to have you on. Did a great job. Oh, thanks, man. Anytime. Be back with the Amatella Cotillas podcast. Don't go anywhere. Back after this. Welcome back to the Amtelek TIS podcast. Joining me now, friend of the podcast program and a good buddy of mine. He is the goat of sports talk radio, created the genre as a matter of fact. He has his own 30 for 30. I've had him on back in August, so it's the second time in less than a year that he's been on. Host of uh, High Heat with Christopher Russo on the MLB Network and host of his own radio show, Mad Dog Unleashed on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Sports Radio Channel 2. The one and only the great Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Doggy, how we go doing? Orioles. Right? Go, go Orioles. Go Orioles. They're going to be bad. How are you, Jai? Good to hear from you again. You look peppy. You look good. What's going on? Of course I'm peppy. It's, I got my coffee. You're here. I'm ready to go, baby. Let's go. Let's go. There you Let's go, go. Jai. A little enthusiasm. That's what I like to see out of you. Good man. How are you? Think a uh, Laurel Canyon, Jai. Laurel Canyon. L- a little Laurel Canyon. Roger McGuinn, the birds, David Crosby, a little Laurel Canyon for you. I make a gotta teach you a little bit. Gotta teach you about some rock and roll. Yes, sir. <laughs> for those of you listening, I listen to Dog religiously. I have been listening to him for about the last five years. And since we've been shut down with COVID, you know, his new love is the Laurel Canyon music with Woodstock 1969 and Laurel Canyon. So that's all he's been playing on the radio for since March of last year. And he's driven me crazy with it. I'm like, dog, dog, dog. Can we get some, you know, James Brown in the mix? I'm not, I, don't let me, don't you know, you're start right. with me. You, you, are, you are theoretically right. I should balance the music off a little bit, but I need that music, Jai, to get me into it sometimes. And that music lifts me. And if I'm into it and it lifts me up, the show is better. So that's kind of the reason why. How about the Traveling Wilburys? You kind of like those songs. You know, the well, uh, uh, you know with Petty and George Harrison. You got to like that, that I've been playing a lot. 88, 89. That doesn't go back to Little Canyon. That you must like, no? There's one song that you've gotten me hooked on. 
and maybe if we have time, we'll play it. It's it's the last night song by the Traveling Wilburys. You got me hooked on that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's I a good song. That that's a good song. Yeah, that's a good song. All right, how you doing? Let's do the baseball. Go ahead, Jay. I'm doing all right, uh, doggy. Before we get into the baseball, just for the sense, because I got people that listen to me that wouldn't know you from your partner, Mike Francesa, and you got vaccinated the other day. Right. Give the audience a feel on, because uh, you're, what, 61, 62 years old. Give the audience a feel of essentially how the vaccination process went, how you're feeling right now. Give Seamless. the audience a little bit of a background it's, it's, on your COVID vaccination. Uh, Pfizer, uh, Stanford Hospital in Connecticut, uh, a 20-minute situation. You couldn't walk five feet without them directing you to a sp proper spot. Uh, very easy process. Was a little tired after it. Uh, I, I took two naps in the course of the day, which I usually don't do. So it, it definitely fatigued me. That was the first shot. Uh, but uh, it really a very seamless uh, process. And by the way, the first shot is 80%. Once you take the first shot, 80% chance you can't get it. So the second shot is only 20, is the, fills in the extra 20%. Second shots in 21 days. I'll get the second one on April 18th. That's the one where you might have some side effects but not an issue whatsoever, get the shot. The quicker we get everybody vaccinated, the quicker, the better off we're gonna be as far as getting the United States sports and fans and all that in stadiums, the better off we're gonna be. So uh, I had no qualms about it. I took a, uh, a COVID test the week before that because I went to Florida for a few days to play a little golf and I came back negative. And then four or five days later, I got the test. Uh, a week ago, what's today? A week ago yesterday, I got the test. Again, the next one in April 18th. So it's an easy yeah. process, recommended. You, you, you know, and now in a lot of states, Jai, over 16, yeah. over 17 years of age, you can get the shot. So don't hesitate, get the shot. Yeah, I'm not going to hesitate. Uh, as a matter of fact, in my and get, state, I get your family, get your parents a shot. That's important. Yeah, I was just, I was going to bring that, I was going to bring that up because my parents, uh, thank God, my mother was able to secure a vaccine for her. She's 54 and my father, who's 43, they were uh, fortunate to secure a vaccine. So they're actually getting vaccinated tomorrow. And within the state of Maryland, they announced April 26th, April 29th, one of those two days that uh, people 16 and Perfect. over can get vaccinated. So Excellent. I'll get vaccinated and Good. my brother uh, will get vaccinated. And how well. old is your brother? How old is your brother, Jai? He will be 17 in May. So, he's, so, so you, both, you, have, you have one sibling. You have one sibling. I got two others. My sister, she won't be able to get it. She's 15 and doesn't turn 16 until uh, mid-October. About a matter of fact, about a, she's born a week before you are. And how about, and then you have another sibling too? Yeah, my brother who's uh, born May the 5th and I'm born 24 days late, 24 days later on the 29th, two okay, years prior. So you have two brothers and a sister? Mm-hmm. And how old is the other brother? Yeah. He is 16. He'll be 17 uh, in two months. I say you got a 17, you got two 16, you got two 16s and a 17. And you? <laughs> two siblings and it's and it's me. So it's three all together. Oh, oh, me, okay. brother, sister. Two siblings. Okay, yeah. got you. All right, now, gotcha. um, are you into the baseball coming up? Oh, of course I am. I mean, it's been weird because this is the first season, you know, Typically, I find a, I find some time to watch at least a few spring training games or other. But this is really the first time I've, you know, I saw the 
think it was the Nationals and the Mets play like in late February, but that was like for, I didn't watch the whole game. So it's been weird because I, I'm into it, and it's like you look at the clock, it's like, my goodness, April 1st is going to open a day, it's going to be tomorrow. So it's really been like, it's been weird because I haven't, you know, I've been up with it as far as keeping track with the news and I know what's happening with Lindor and everything else, but it's really been weird because it's the first season where I don't have that spring training that I've watched typically religiously to sort of like wet my appetite a little bit, which, you know, which is, I don't know whether it's the fact that, you know, I've been all in on the NCAA tournament because well, it's finally been it. back in two years yeah, or, you know, but the, you'll, you'll get yeah, they've been... Uh, part of it's the fact you got a bad team. You got the Orioles. That's part of it too. Yeah. Uh, but you, well, you'll, well, typically, you'll be in. Well, I mean, typically, never, yeah. We didn't have the opening day last year, Josh. So now we have the opening day. So it's a lot better off based on the yeah. idea that it, you know, like the NCAA tournament, you keep on texting me the ratings that have been improved. Baseball will have some juice too, because we didn't have opening day in the NCAA tournament in 2020. We don't have it right. fully as far as the fans go, but at least we have a regular 162-game schedule starting on time, and as a result of that, we'll be in good shape. Go ahead. You, you get into it. Gotcha. Yeah, so, it, you know, opening day – I mean, last year, opening day against Boston, I mean, don't even get me started. I mean, the Orioles' dog are so bad. I mean, let me sound off to you a little bit. They, they are so bad. I, I, I don't get this team. They, so let me get this straight. They give me and they give all the Oriole fans across this state the message that it's rebuild, 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 rebuild. We got Adley Richardson, the catcher out of uh, Oregon State. You know, we got one, we got one of the best up-and-coming farm systems in the league. There's stuff to look forward to. Mike Elias, Brandon Hyde, yada, 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 yada. And meanwhile, we have a first baseman who is worth $161 million. Who all he he can't he who can't hit his weight. I mean, I you can't tell you can't sell me in the fan base oh, a message of a rebuild. Of the message of a re and, you, and you're dragging around the dead weight. I mean, well, this I, I understand that, uh, but the GM did not sign Davis. That was a previous administration. So you have to give them a chance to get that contract out. When is that contract up anyway? Another year or two. It's it's within the it's next a seven three years year deal so. for 161 million. So it's whenever he signed it. So you got to get through that contract, and then you'll be able to use that money to help you out. And listen, I don't like the. It's not like they have won yet, but they were a little bit more competitive last year. Uh, the managers got a little fight to him. He's got he's a little spunk, and you got to give the GM a little chance. The Orioles, that's a great ballpark. It's a great baseball town. Eventually, they spend some money. The problem that they have is they don't have a winnable division. They know the Yankees are there every year. So for them to spend uh, some money and bang their heads against the wall when they know they can't win the division, you know, because the Yankees are going to win 98 games. So the Orioles can get to 80, but what difference does it make? 80 would, you'd rather have 60 wins than 80 wins because then you get better draft picks. So the Orioles going out there to improve the team marginally in that division doesn't do him any good. Now, if you're in the, uh, you know, American League or the NL Central, it's a different story because you can win those divisions. But if you're in the West of the with the Dodgers and San Diego, and if you were with the Mets and, and, and those teams in the East, Braves, and if you're in your division, you can't do it. So they have to get rid of all the bad contracts, Davis is included, build through the draft, and pray, keep your fingers crossed, when the time comes and you've built a decent foundation, you have spent some money on free agents and improved the team. That's what you have to hope if you're an Oriole fan right now.
and root for Mancini your- and root for Mancini with the cancer. Oh, I, if there's one guy that I hope just dominates in 2021, it's him because he he deserves it. That's a good story. But I'll, I'll be your age by the time the Orioles win a championship. I mean, I, I swear, I swear, I swear, I'll be you sitting up on radio, get saying one time because I they were four wins, they were four wins away, dog. Four wins away from going to a World Series in 2014, and literally, it's like it was an ad. It was it was a, a fabrication. It was, it was a figment of my imagination. They have been nowhere. They have been nowhere near close since. I mean, that was a rough series. Kansas City killed them in that series. Are you as big an Oreo fan as you are a Bengals fan? I, it's fit. I football. I've. As I've gotten older, football is is my favorite sport by like a slim margin. But I'm a little bit more passionate about the Orioles because I am because you know it's who I am a Baltimorean. So it's it's so it's a part of it's part of my blood, it's part of my DNA. It's part of my DNA. But I never I never told you this story, and now and now would be a great time, better than ever for me to say it, because uh, I never told you this story when I've called in on the air. But I was in the 2014. I was in the seventh grade. Back in my old middle school, for whatever the reason, they made us take a theater class. And we had a field trip to go to Delaware to watch any one of those dinner theater ordeals, Fiddler on the Roof. Right. And that and that day was game four of the ALCS in Kansas City Orioles Royals. And I went for, and I went in because the food was all paid for. So I was what I was no old, no older than what 14, 14, uh, what 12, 12, 13 years of age. So I went crazy. I had like two cups of coffee, five cups of lemonade, went absolutely nuts, you know, eyes bigger than my stomach. So, and I didn't have, and I didn't have a phone at the time. So I'm sitting up here. So we get on the bus ride back. And I and I know that you know it's do or die time for my so I'm bugging the hell out of my classmates. You know, give me the scores, give me the give me the scores, give me the scores, and and so and we run into rush hour traffic. So then I'm like, oh crap, you know those five lemonades are starting to take a toll on me. So I literally dog have to hold myself oh, for God. about for about an hour and a half, and and then we got about five literally five minutes from the school. And it, complete waterworks, oh urinated yeah. all all over myself. Oh boy! Five oh, minutes boy, away oh, from boy, the oh, I am more and I, and dog. When I'm telling you, I was more concerned about what was going on in Kansas City than I'll be fine. I'll change my pants, clean myself up. What's happening with the or? What's happening with my Orioles? My father comes, picks me up. I tell him what happened. He goes into some restaurant or whatever to pick up my mom something for dinner. I'm sitting in the car, pants soaked, listening to Joe Angel commentate, and never forget it. Ground ball to third base. Mustakis picks it up, throws it across the first. Eric Hosmer, series over. And now I'm completely soaked. Tears coming down my face. My pants are soaked. And and my parent and my every single time I tell that story, my parents get a little embarrassed. But I'm like. Listen, it was no big deal. It was no big deal to me. I couldn't hold it any longer, and I was more concerned about what's going on in Kansas yeah, City. Yeah, you know what? What? I'll give you that. I'll give you than that. Me, me, my good for you. 
Good for you. We've all had our accidents, so that's a good one for you. And he and listen, if you look at the American League this year, if you want to do a little baseball, I mean, he, yes. there's not a lot of good teams. I mean, the Yankees are very good. Minnesota will be pretty consistent. The White Sox, big injury, but they should be, you know, they're going to be, you know, La Russa, they got, made some moves. They should win, you know, upwards of 80, you know, 80, 88, 91, 92 games. Uh, you know, Tampa and Toronto, you know, will be competitive. And the Astros and the Angels. But there's not a lot of really good teams. The good teams this year in the National League, Dodgers, San Diego, the Mets, the Braves, those are four pretty good teams. The American League really only has, you know, it's really only got the Yankees and a couple of teams that are a little bit of a question mark. So the balance of power this year, Jai, in baseball is in the NL. Better league. Yeah, absolutely. And it was going to lead me into my, one of my first little questions. What team do you think specifically in the American League will exceed expectations? What do you think will kind of stay a little, you know, mediocre and kind of like plateau throughout the season? And what teams do you think that have high expectations going into the season will underachieve in 2021 on the American League side? Uh, well, Kansas City, I think, will be a team that has a chance to have a pretty good year. they got a good lineup, a couple of young pitchers. The GM has been active. They brought in Ben Tendi from the Red Sox. You know, they got Merrifield, who's a very underrated player. They can hit the ball out of the ballpark. There's a good spirit there. Matheny's a pretty good manager. Um, they signed Perez. They gave him $80 million to stay behind the plate. Uh, they got the kid in the minor leagues, Witt, Bobby Witt, whose father was the reliever, who is a big-time hitter. He's like the fifth-best prospect in the sport. I think Kansas City, in a division that's winnable, I think Kansas City will be a pretty decent team. That's the first. I mean, great, no, but I, you know, they can win 80 games. You know, they can be a 500 team. I think one of the teams that uh, will have high expectations that will flatten out will be Tampa. Uh, I think the Rays last year took advantage of the idea that, uh, you know, there was only a 60-game schedule. Uh, they were built with their bullpen, uh, and I think they were built for the short term. They don't have a ton of depth. Don't have a fortune, right. uh, you know, a lot of resources to bring a lot of players in if something goes something goes wrong. And I think this year with Tampa over 162, where, you know, you got to have a lot of players, I think you'll see Tampa level. They lose Nick Anderson. They lose Charlie Morton. Uh, they lost, they trade Snell. Uh, you know, they replaced them with a lot of, you know, Michael Walker, Rich Hill, you know, Colin McHugh, a lot of guys who are going to try to, you know, strike a little lightning in the bottle. So I think Tampa could be a team, and the Yankees will be good. I think Tampa will level off. They had a big injury with Anderson, you know, the guy there in their bullpen. Uh, so I think you'll see Tampa not be as good. That, 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 that's one. That's my wife's phone goes. Um, so I think Tampa and Kansas City are two teams. I, I still – everybody thinks the Angels are going to be a very good team. I do not like the Angels starting pitching. I know Charles there. I know Rendon's there. Uh, they're, they're, they're counting a lot on Otani, and I just don't know if the Angels starting pitching, you know, Dylan Bundy, the old Oriole, uh, Quintana, the old Cub, uh, I just don't know if down deep they have enough pitching to go out there and be much better than a little better than 500. So the Angels in Tampa on the negative side, and I think Kansas City on the upward side in the American League. That's what I would say right now. I totally agree. I mean, I, when I, I I don't understand, and a matter I should I should have brought I created a T-shirt because I'm trying to build my brand. And everything. I created a T-shirt because I went on a rant after Cash took out 
um, Snell at uh, in, uh, game yeah. six. Game. Yeah, and game. I create, and I had a quote during that rant says, "Computers don't win you championships." People do. Remind me when we finish. I'll I'll send a picture of it. And I'll send it to you because I, I I don't understand it. I mean, do they deserve credit because they don't have a lot to work with, and you know they, they do. don't have they, do. they, they do. do. But it but it's to the point where it's like you know you have to pay attention and get a feel of what's going on in the game. You can't just you know this isn't a computer. You just type you know you just type in results. Uh, four plus four equals eight and you get what you want it's this is sports you know there's so many you know it's i i say this all the time sports is is the world's greatest unscripted true reality television you don't know you don't know what's you don't know what's going to happen heading into a game on a night and night out basis i and in fact they had to get rid of snell and trade him to the bod race i think that is as you like to say bad karma I that I I I just got a funny feeling that Tampa's just that that momentum think, that they right. had in 2026 on the nose I, I remember what's also going to hurt Tampa is the fact there's only five teams making the playoffs. There's not. Seven. Yeah, is they go right? They're going back to their old format. Yeah. So uh, from that from that standpoint, that's going to make it a little more complicated for some of these borderline teams. Tampa's a borderline right. team. They can go one way or the other. They could be pretty good fight for a postseason spot or they could level off and win 81 games. I'm going to go the, 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 the other side with Tampa. Here's what you know about the American League. Yankees are going to be a very good team. Minnesota and the White Sox will be a pretty good team. And Houston will still be relatively effective. They can hit. You know, Dusty's a good manager. They'll be pretty right. good. That fifth team in the American League is dubious, whether it's Toronto, maybe Tampa. That fifth team to make the postseason, if you think the Minnesota, the White Sox, the Yankees, and the Astros, the A's, that fifth team will be interesting. And that's another team that could fade is Oakland. Lost a lot of players, lost Liam Hendricks, lost Simeon. Eventually, you're not going to be able to replace everybody. And they do it with mirrors half the time anyway, and he's a good manager. I'd be a little worried about the A's. Yeah. Absolutely. In that division, too, the Astros would be significantly better as well. Uh, going over to the National League side, same thing. What team do you think will exceed expectations? What team do you think uh, will, you know, kind of plateau and stay mediocre? And what teams do you think will underachieve? Real quick, for me, I think the team that's going to underachieve me personally is the Mets. Because I, from what I've seen from when it comes to New York and Mets is that they is that their own worst enemy is themselves. Every single time you expect something of them, they they get in their own way. So I did, you know, and it's, it's the Grom, and then who else do they have in their starting rotation? You know, and uh, I, mean, I, yeah, I understand. The, the, the Mets always have a black cloud uh, hovering around them, Jai. Um, you know, uh, they're starting pitching. A couple of guys banged up, of course. We'll see about Syndergaard and Carlos Carrasco. They need some extra starting pitching behind the Grom. They, they will score runs. They got a good offense. You know, Alonzo, Lindor, uh, you know, Conforto. They got a good offensive team. So they're going to score plenty of runs. Um, right. You know, but they're starting – and their bullpen, you know, should be better with Diaz. And they have uh, Trevor May out there from the Twins. But I agree with you. The Mets starting pitching is a little, a little dicey. But he's got a lot of money. Syndergaard and Carrasco are due back. They will make a move in July. So, I mean, I, I think the Mets would be competitive. Um I think the second best team in the NL are the Braves. Uh, I think the Braves are better than San Diego. 
Uh, I think uh, I don't want to say San Diego is going to, uh, you know, not uh, not uh, live up to their expectation level, but I think the Padres they're going to be in a different situation this year. First off, everybody thinks they're supposed to be good. You're not going to catch anybody by surprise. That's number one. Number two, they're expecting a lot out of Darvish and Snell. Well, Snell was traded and Darvish did nothing for the Cubs half his contract. So to expect right. them to be Koufax and Drysdale is a little much. So, and San Diego's <laughs> in a division with the Dodgers and they're in a division where the Dodgers are sitting there and they're not going to win the division. So they're going to be playing for the wild card really from the get-go. And if you look at the San Diego schedule in the month of September, it is mind-boggling. They play the Braves, they play the Cardinals, they play the Angels, they play the Astros, and two series with the Dodgers. I mean, that is a very, very, very hard schedule in the month of, uh, of the month of uh, September. So I think the Diamond, I think the Padres mm-hmm. will be pretty good. I think they win around 90 games, but I'm not going to go. I mean, their over-under number in Vegas is in the mid-90s. I think that's a little high. Um, I think the uh, I think the Brewers might be pretty good. You know, they get the, the, the Brewers don't have a major weakness. They get a decent bullpen with the two guys, Devin Williams and Hayter out there. They have a couple of good starting pitchers. Yelich will bounce back. So they got him. He's an MVP candidate. I think the Brewers, Jackie Bradley will help their defense. Lorenzo Cain has returned. I think, and Wong, the kid from the Cardinals, is going to play second base. He's a good defender. I think the Brewers would be pretty good in the NL Central. Um, I think the Phillies would be a little better because Girardi's there, and, you know, you always count on Girardi. Their bullpen was historically bad last year. They're going to be a little better. Bullpens come and go. One year they're bad. The next year the same guys are good. That's the way bullpens are. So that bullpen will be a little better, and as a result, the team will be a little better. Worried about the Nationals. You know, uh, they got some age with Scherzer. Strasburg's going to be nursing these injuries all year long. Um, you know, you got to be a little worried about the Nationals. I think they're a little unsettled right now. That's a team that I would be somewhat concerned about. You got to be concerned about the Cubs. Uh, the whole world is anyway. They didn't spend any money on the offseason, really, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. They brought Jack Peterson in okay, but they're pitching. Kyle Hendricks is their ace. They don't have a lot of starting pitching. So uh, you'd be a little worried also about the Cubs. So the Cubs and the Nationals on the negative side, uh, the Blue and the Padres on the negative side. I think the Brewers and the Phillies might be a little better than you think in the NL. Five teams make it. Dodgers, you know, then they're going to make it. The NL Central winner, whoever that might be, Cardinals, Milwaukee will get in. The Braves will make the playoffs. And you got to figure going in, it's Mets and Padres. And then that sixth team, whoever that might be, Phillies, the second team in the NL Central, Brewers of the Cardinals, will fight for that extra spot. We'll see. We're complicated this year, Jared, with only the five teams. Go ahead. Right, right. Before I get to the LC, your LCS and World Series prediction, um, you know, I got, peop, you know, a couple of people that listen, you know, Mike in the OC, he listens to me and listens to you as well. But I got a buddy of mine, perfect example, who I went to high school with, who goes to school, Univer- uh, Coastal Carolina uh, University down there in the Carolinas. He, again, wouldn't know you from uh, Mike Francesa. Give him, <laughs> give him a little bit of a, for someone who's been around, who's a baseball fan, give him a little feel on, you know, because my generation, you know, I'm, I'm a rare breed. You know, not too many 18, 19-year-olds are, are, are big-time baseball fans 100%. nowadays in 2021. Yep. Give, give the audience a feel on what they're missing in the sport, if they're looking to give it a chance, 
and you know, and kind of speak your piece on why you think baseball well, isn't as the, popular. Here's the, the best thing. Here's the here's the best thing about baseball. If you're a good sports fan, there's a game on every night. It's not once a week. The NBA scatters. There's a game on every night. There's 162 games. So look at it as a big book, where each chapter is interesting, and you go to the next chapter, and you see what happens at the end. That's the good thing about baseball. It, 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 it's a good companion piece. It's a good way to right. look at it. You can follow it all year long. Remember, they start the baseball season. The 2020 basketball season, the NCAA, isn't even over yet. When the baseball mm-hmm. season ends, next year's college basketball season would have started. That's how long right. it is. Uh, you know, uh, we haven't even gotten their schedule for the NFL in 2021 yet. When baseball ends, they'll be halfway through that schedule. It'll be around Halloween. So it's a long companion piece. That's the first thing. Second thing is, uh, although they do play 162 games, they have the best playoff percentage. you got to be good to make the playoffs in baseball. Okay? The NFL, the 14 of the 30 teams make the playoffs. In the NBA, they all make it. In the NHL, they all make it. Baseball, they have 30-something teams, 10 make the postseason. It's only 33%. So you have to be, you know, you're not going to find a team that's, you know, eight and eight in the, in, like in the NFL in baseball's postseason. Yeah. The New York Knicks, this. New York Knicks would not make the postseason. So you like that about baseball. The other thing you like about baseball is the old Jeter line. You got to be great to make the playoffs and to win it, you just got to get hot. Baseball, unlike the other sports, the eighth seed is not beating the Lakers. Okay, mm-hmm. the the Knicks are not beating the Nets in a five game or seven game series. The NBA mm-hmm. regular season is an exhibition season. The NFL, 99 percent of the time, the team that is the better team and the home field team wins. Now, it doesn't happen with Tampa because Tampa won three road games. It doesn't always happen that way. Don't get me wrong. But 99 percent of the time, the home team wins. Buffalo beat the Ravens. Chiefs beat the Bills. I mean, Lots of mm-hmm. times that happens. In baseball, once you get into the postseason, all things out the window. Anybody can win. It's, unpredict- mm-hmm. it's unpredictable. It, you know, Absolutely. a home field doesn't mean anything. It's like the NHL with the hot goalie. You get the hot pitcher, you can go out there and win. You, a wild card team can win a championship. And that mm-hmm. doesn't happen. It happens in football, but Tampa was a good wild card team. They won 11 games. For the most part, the wild card team in baseball – you know, that's a pretty good team, but he's playing a lot of road games, but he can win the championship. The Unless you're one of the top two or three teams in the NBA, you're not winning. Uh, so, and in football, normally the best records win. In baseball, get into the playoffs and things happen. I think those right. are your positives. And the other thing I would say about baseball, now you got to watch a million games to see it, but the great baseball game is the best sporting event. And the reason oh, for that is there's no clock. Right. You got to get 27 outs. Football, the game ends, the clock. They take a knee. Basketball, 48 minutes, you know, you're going to run out of time. Baseball, mm-hmm. you don't run out of time. The other team's got to retire you 27 outs to win the game. So anything can happen because baseball is nuts. And you play, play right. so many games that things can happen in the course of the game that you think you've never seen before. That's another good aspect of baseball. I think the best thing for a young kid 
Colin, my youngest, is get is into baseball now. I think the best thing for it is it is the best. What I said at the top, it's it's like drinking it's like drinking a nice cool glass of lemonade on the back porch on a summer day. And mm-hmm. there's also lots of different ways you can follow baseball. You can watch it on TV. You can just follow it on your phone. You can listen to it on the radio. You don't have to watch baseball to know what's going on. Football, you'll watch the games. Basketball, who listens to the basketball on the radio? Nobody. In baseball, it's 162 games. So you're not going to watch every game. But if you're in your car, you put the game on for three innings. If you're on the back porch, you put the transistor radio next to you and listen to the game for a little while. You check the scores on your phone. There's so many games that there's so many different methods to follow the year. And not one game is, instru- is you know, unbelievably important to watch that you feel compelled to get to a television set. And you can follow baseball without having to see the game. If a guy hits a home run to right field, you know what a home run to right field looks like. Right. Fly ball to right, deep right, go back goes Conforto, back to the track, she's gone. You can picture that. Right. You can't do that in the other sports. It's harder. Right. So from that standpoint, you know, it's hard to describe a missed tackle. It's, it's hard to describe a, you know, a three-on-two fast break. You want to see that. Baseball, mm-hmm. you don't have to see it. So that's another reason right. why to get, uh, to get involved there. It's a great companion piece. It helps to have a favorite team. You have the Orioles. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're bad, so you lose interest because it's a long season. It helps to have a, a favorite team that is competitive. That helps. But as far as the sport is concerned, April 1st to September 30th. I mean, there's a lot of storylines. It's fun from that standpoint. Go ahead. It is. Yeah. I mean, I and I grew up, you know, grew up going to games that like since I was three. And my grandmother, who's 86 years old, goes back to Sandy Koufax with the Dodgers. I mean, she she's like you. Huge, huge baseball fan. How about that? Go it's older, yeah, it's an older fans, it's an older sports fans favorite sport, is what it is. And Right. And she and she's part, you know, she kind of helped influence that love of baseball and spread it on to me because she. Outside of a couple of years, she lived with us most of the time. She did not see, you know, a lot of Orioles games back when I was, uh, you know, back when I was in grade school years. What she would do is we'd go, you know, we'd go over there for the day. It'd be around seven o'clock on a July night. She'd get the she'd get her radio. She'd open up the window put the radio out onto the screen from the inside of the house, go out to her back porch, sit down, listen to Joe Angel and Fred Manfred call the Orioles. Orioles. So, she had the radio. She took advantage of it. They, they, were, right. they were her companion. They were her friend. Baseball's like a right. good friend. Baseball's like a good friend. Right. And, right, I, and, well, and Before I got to go do uh, TV here, predictions. Let me give you a couple. Yeah. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you want to be different with these predictions. So you don't want to pick the same teams over and over again. And so as a result, the obvious choice is Yankees Dodgers. Okay. The Dodger over under number for the year is 105. That's the highest win total from Vegas in baseball since 1998. Last year, they were 43 and 17 in 60 games over a 162 game schedule. That's 116 wins. Mm. So the Dodgers, 116, that's the all-time record. That's 116 and 46. Can't do any better than that. Uh, So everybody is on a Dodger bandwagon. I have to be different. 
I'll take the Braves. Braves have good pitching. <laughs> Braves almost beat the Dodgers last year. Braves are a little bit under the radar right now. Everybody's talking about the Mets. Everybody's talking about San Diego. Watch Atlanta have a very good season. So I'll take Atlanta in the NL. And everybody's going to be in the Yankees. The American League, as I said before, isn't great. And everybody will jump on the Yankee bandwagon. I'll go a different direction. And I'll take the Twins. I'm going to go back to 91. Twins Braves. That was 30 <laughs> years ago. World Series was as good as it gets. I'll take a Twins. Now, the Twins have lost 18 postseason games in a row. So that's an asinine pick. And the Braves. Right. <laughs> But, uh, but I'll be different. That's the first time I even thought of it. I'll take Twins Braves World Series 2021. How's that? Something different. Interesting. And, then, folks, this is the same guy that when he gave the Super Bowl prediction at the beginning of the football season, he gave Browns and Rams off of, you know, base because it was some I mean, you know championship was game back a, in the 50s. That was not a bad pick because the Browns and the Rams both won a game. That was not it a bad pick. Not a bad pick. It wasn't. Not a bad pick. It wasn't. It wasn't. I I give I give you that. I give you that. Um, but oops, real quick, speak about the uh, the picture that's behind you, uh, above your uh, right shoulder. That is Ruth and uh, that is Ruth and Ted Williams. That's the World War II shot uh, at Fenway Park uh, in 1941 or two. Every New Englander, and I don't live in New England, but every Red Sox fan has that photograph. That's after Ruth retired. Ruth retired in the early 30s. Williams's career began in 39. Williams and Ruth never crossed. Williams and Garrick did because Garrick played a month in 39 before he got sick. Died and it took himself out of the lineup on in May. And that was Williams's rookie year. But Williams and Ruth did not. Williams was born in 1895. Uh, uh, Ruth was born in 1895. So he retired in 33, 34. Williams is so about five years apart. But listen. Those are the two best hitters in the history of the sport right there. Ruth, nobody's better than Ruth. And plus he pitched. Plus he pitched. He's a great pitcher. And he hit 715 home runs. I don't know what you want. 714. Aaron hit 715. Williams hit 406. And you know the famous Williams story. His his batting average was 399.6 going into the last games of the season. You round it off, it's to 400. So the last game of the year, the Red Sox were in Philadelphia to play the A's. It was a doubleheader. The Red Sox manager was Joe Cronin, and he said, Ted, don't play today. We're round the batting average over to 400. Why play? The games mean nothing. It's the last two games of the year. Don't play. Williams said, what are you kidding? I'm playing. Eight for 10 in a doubleheader. 406. <laughs> wow. That is nuts. Absolutely. That's not that's, that's not Kevin Durant, you know, or Kyrie Irving. <laughs> played, played. He, eight ten. Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is a complete. Oh, you, you, know, can't take complete, you can't take him. Yeah, but but baseball is the only sport where you know basketball. The goat, quote unquote, is Jordan. Uh, football. The goat. You know, the goat is Brady. Yeah, we don't really have one. Ten, you don't have one. Ten. Tennis, tennis and golf, you say, is Nicholas. My guy is Tiger. Tennis, you can go many a different routes. But baseball is really the only sport where it's, quote-unquote, goat played prior to World War II. 
It's crazy. Uh, you can look at it that way. Now, I know a lot of people bring up the African-American aspect because Ruth didn't face any, you know, didn't face Satchel Page and all that. When you're mm -hmm. that great, and, you know, Josh Gibson was great too. It goes both ways. But when you're that great as Ruth was, if he hit Walter Johnson, if he hit Lefty Grove, two of the great pitchers of all time, if he hit those pitchers, you're telling me he wouldn't be able to hit Satchel Page? Great players can hit anybody, and great pitchers can get anybody out. Satchel Page would have gotten Ruth out, but Ruth would have gotten hits off Satchel Page. When you're that dominant, doesn't make a difference to you. It doesn't make doesn't make a difference to the opponent is. Ruth, Ruth in the twenties. Forget him. Out homered teams. In nineteen twenty, hit at nineteen twenty one, he hit fifty nine home runs for the Yankees. There were about twenty teams combined. No, 20 teams, the whole team didn't hit 59 home runs. So there might be a team that year, say the uh, White Sox, who may have hit a combined, the whole team, 48 homers. Ruth by himself hit 59. I'm the Where else are you going to hear 1920s baseball? There you go. Good boy. But, All right, Jay, I got to run. You are the best. Yeah. You know I love you. You are, I love you, Jay. Appreciate you, dog. You All did right, a great guys. job. Thank you. Have a good show. See you later. All right. See you. Take care. Special thanks to Daniel Oyefusi for joining us on the Amatel XTIS podcast. Special thanks to Christopher Mad Dog Russo for giving me a good half hour of his time. I mean, you that that honestly, you know, that honestly, I enjoyed Dog coming on today. I think that was a better spot than uh, him coming on when I had him on for about 90 minutes, about two hours back in August. I don't know it was the fact that I saw him on the Zoom. So, it was, you know, so it was Peppy having to actually look at him and talk to him or what. And, uh, it, it was one of my favorite conversations with uh, the Mad Dog earlier this morning. Special thanks to him for coming on, talking about uh, the 2021 baseball season, which starts tomorrow, and Daniel Oyefusi. Of the Baltimore Sun coming on, talking a little bit of NCAA tournament basketball with us. Switching, uh, staying with the baseball coming out of the uh, Mad Dog spot, and that is uh, the twenty twenty, and that is my twenty twenty one MLB season predictions. I do them every single year. Uh, just a recap of of how twenty twenty went. I had the Yankees winning the. I had the Yankees. Uh, winning the division, raised as the wild card team. Um, Blue Jays, Blue Jays not making the playoffs. I got that one wrong. Uh, Orioles won more games than I thought. The so that was I had the Twins winning division. Indians as a wild card team. Uh, the Indians and the Yankees uh, both had the wild card spots. The Rays ended up winning the division. Astros uh, won. I believe who I think. Uh, let me go back and look and see uh, how 2020 went as far as the season is concerned, as far as uh, who won what division is concerned. But 
just as a recap of World Series, um, I had uh, what did I have in the World Series? I had Yan I had Nationals and Yankees in the World Series. World Series in five. Uh, it turns out this season it was the Rays and the Dodgers in the World Series. Dodgers won the World Series. Uh, Dodgers won the World Series. Corey Seager won the MVP. Standings, it was Rays won their division. Yankees and Blue Jays were the two wildcard teams in the AL East. Twins won a division, which I uh, read wrong. Or no, I didn't. I actually had that read right, and I believe, and I was a game off to add the Twins at thirty-five and twenty-five. Twins won the division thirty-six and twenty-four. Uh, Indians was a wild card team at uh, thirty-five and twenty-five. I, my prediction, I had them at thirty-one and twenty-nine. White Sox made the playoffs as a wild card team as well, thirty-five and twenty-five. They had the missed the playoffs at twenty-five and thirty-five. And then in the West, A's won the division at thirty-six and twenty-four. Uh, they I had them at 30 and 30, missing the play postseason. Angels 30 and 30 as well. They finished at 26 and 34. A's won the division at 36 and 24. Had the Astros win the division at 37 and 23. And Astros ended up going sub 500, but making the playoffs at 29 and 31. Uh, National League, I had the uh, Nationals win the division and came in fourth place. Braves ended up winning it instead. Marlins came in second at 31-29. and 29. Went uh, second place in wild card in the Annalise last year. Central, I had the uh, Cardinals winning. The Cubs ended up winning the division. And uh, Cardinals, Reds, and Brewers all made it as a wild card team. You don't have that this year. Back to the traditional uh, format, Dodgers and Padres in the NL West. I had that read uh, read correctly. Um, I was three games off with the Dodgers. They went 43 and 17, uh, 50 and 10 is how I had them predicted. Uh, 37 23 is what the what the Padres ended up going in 20. Uh, 20. I had them at 33 and 27 uh, in July. I had the NLCS dash Nationals and Dodgers. It was Dodgers and uh, Braves. Um, and then of course, and then um, I had of course Dodgers. Or excuse me, Yankees and Nationals in the World Series. The Yankees winning in five games. So it's a new season, new baseball season. Uh, like I told Dog, it seems like that the season has. That the season has gotten here quick, fast, has gotten here quick, fast, and in a hurry. Uh, you know the uh, let's rule changes. Uh, double they will still have the two seven inning double headers. Um, and a run will be placed on second base every half inning. A game that goes into the tenth inning on. Um, let's see here. Venue. Uh, let's see here. Blue Jays will begin their season in Dunedin, Florida, at their spring training facility because of the cold, because of the border restrictions, because of uh, COVID. Um, teams will have uh, fans in the ballpark at their certain, uh, at their certain capacities. Uh, it looks like regular um, the playoff format will be back to usual. You'll have the five playoff teams and you know the five playoff teams per league, the three division champions, the two wild cards, and that single, um, in that single in that single uh, wild card game. 
uh, in both in both leagues. So the way it used to be, as Mad Dog uh, stated last segment, Little League Classic, if you care, between, will be between the Angels and the Indians in Williamsport on August 22nd. Field of Dreams game will, will be between the Yankees and the White Sox in Iowa on August 12th. Interleague play will be AL East versus NL East, Central versus Central, and West versus the West. So just like it was, um, just like it was in uh, 2020, uh, just like it was in 2020, it will be in 2021 where the uh, where their interleague matchups will be will be a regional where the East plays East, Central plays Central, West plays the West. This time, you know, you'll you'll see the Orioles and the Yankees and the Rays fly out west to go play the Angels and the A's and the Mariners. Uh, something that they did not have in 2020 because uh, because COVID, you know, you couldn't travel outside of your region. They're going to travel cross country as far as the inter. As far as, uh, you know, within the American League and within the National League, the Dodgers will fly to Washington and Washington will fly to the Dodgers and play each other out west and both out east and so forth. And, uh, and you know, 2020 se- 2021 season is here. Hard to believe that it's here. Spring, we're about a week or so into spring. First day of April, hard to believe also, uh, is on Thursday, which is uh, tomorrow. Uh, like I told Dog, unlike seasons past where I've watched uh, spring training baseball sort of whet my appetite, I'm going in essentially raw like I did last year. And lo and behold, you know, this time, uh, you know, around this time, uh, to my, th- this time on Thursday, it'll be, you know, f- it'll be uh, middle, in- you know, be in the thick of Orioles and Red Sox at Fenway Park opening day. So, which I'll be... Uh, Looking forward to it. I expect Memorials to stink, but what else is new? I mean, we have Matt Harvey as your number two pitcher heading into the season. And I ain't that much hope. I just hope Trey Mancini, you know, just uh, kicks ass and takes names, as the old saying goes, you know, coming off of his season uh, or coming off of his year where he uh, sat out a year with uh, colon cancer in 2020. But without further ado, I do it every single season. 2021. MLB season predictions because this isn't the National Football League. I typically have the NFL films music. No MLB films music that I've know of, that I've heard of. So we'll just go without the background music as so. In the American League East, I have the New York Yankees. Matter of fact, let me give you the Vegas over-under numbers as I do this. Yankees, their over-under number is 95 and a half. I will go over and have the Yankees go 97 and 65 and win the division in the AL East. Blue Jays, I believe, will finish in second place. Their over-under number is, stand by, is at 86 and a half. I'll go under 84 and 78. They will get wild card uh, spot number one or number two. As far as the American League is concerned, the uh, and the Rays, you know, and or excuse me, with the Blue Jays, they got um, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. lost a ton of weight. That's a team that can hit, that can rake. Biggio's kid, the whole nine yards. They will be an impressive team in 2021. Yankees, you know, Yankees. They added Clu- They uh, added Kluber. They cut ties with Tanaka. They got Cole, who should settle himself down as far as being a part of the New York Yankees is concerned. Their key is in LeMay, who's going to hit. And Sanchez, you never know, up and down. You know, he, he's hot one he's hot one night, ice cold the next, and can't catch a lick. You know, can't catch a lick the next night. Um, but, but the Yankees' success 
is going to rely on the bullpen with Chapman, which let him which let him down against uh, Tampa and uh, Rosarena in the playoffs. Um, but their success is going to rely on their bullpen being being sturdy and being healthy, and Judge and Stanton not only producing but staying healthy. You know, it's Judge and Stanton. They're never in the lineup at the same time. They got to be in order for the Yankees to reach optimum success in 2021. Team number four that I think is going, that I think is going to finish in fourth place in the AL East is uh, the Boston Red Sox at 75 and 87. The Boston Red Sox is over under number for 2020, or excuse me, for 2021 is 80 and a half. I'll go under with that. Have them winning 75 games. He cut ties with Benintendi, as Dog told you. This is a Red Sox team that's going in a little bit of a rebuild mode right now. I don't think they're going to compete as far as winning the division is concerned. I think Yankees are going to win this division outright, and this is the Yankees division. Uh, this is the Yankees division to lose. I think that they're so heavily favored as far as winning the division is concerned. Um, I think the Red Sox will get destroyed, well, not destroyed, but will not be a factor as far as competing in the AL East is concerned. I have them finishing fourth at 75 and 87, and I have my Baltimore Orioles, the pathetic, the disgusting, the lousy, offensive to the senses Baltimore Orioles, whose over-under is at 64 and a half this season. I'll go slightly over with that. I think they'll find a way to uh, win 70 games. They got a little bit of mojo going. They'll be... Uh, They'll be ignited as far as having energy and pep is concerned because man because the guy Mancini's back on the lineup, their best the best player on the team. Uh, they don't have to worry about the dead weight that is Chris Davis who and he can miss. Uh, why, don't put him on a on a sixty day deal or else put him on a hundred and sixty two day deal. I do not want to see him playing out one game in the lineup. With my ball, get get him out. Hundred is if there's a hundred sixty two day DL, put him on it. I don't want him anywhere near the near the baseball field in twenty twenty one. As far as my Orioles are concerned, they'll be a little better. Um, means arguably their best pitcher has to perform. Who knows about the bullpen? Cole Seltzer, Seltzer, whatever his name is. I didn't trust him in a big spot as far as uh, coming out the bullpen in tight games in 2020 is concerned. They're going to have fans in the ballpark, which will provide a little bit of an energy factor as well. Um, Mancini will be back coming off of the colon cancer. They exceeded my expectations. They played pretty competitive baseball up until about late August, which you like as well. Um... I think the Orioles will win 70 games and finish at 70 and 92 uh, in 2021. Go to the AL and then finish in last place. The AL Central, um, I will. I have the Twins winning division. I know all this talk about the Chicago White Sox and Tony La Russa coming out of retirement and Tim Anderson. There's all the hoopla. I try to I try to steer away and be very cautious and very careful with the with the trendy teams. Hence, for instance, I picked the Bucks to go nine and seven. A matter of fact, let me give you the exact. I had the Bucks going uh, nine and nine and seven as a wild card team. They ended up winning eleven games. They ended up winning the whole whole Super. You know, winning up winning. Ended up winning the whole thing, winning the Super Bowl. So I, you know, I take I take acknowledge the fact that that they're going to be an improved and a good team. Now, I'm not saying that this team's going to be the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm not saying that. Well, what I am saying is that I am, I am, uh, I'm conceding at the fact that I know this team is going to be good. 
I I I think and I and I accept the fact that that they're going to be good. So I have them winning 89 games. The over under number is at 90. I'll go slightly under by one game. I have them going 89 and 73. There's going to be a there's going to be I think some um, some learning curves and some growing pains because it's going to be Larusa's first season managing since 2012. He was out of the game, out of managing for nearly for about nine years. He's going you know he's he's going to have to have a little bit of adjustment period to see whether or not the game is quote-unquote passed them by um but i think the white Sox are going to do real real well in the american league i have them going 89 and 73 and getting that number one top seeded wild card spot in the american league indians at 78 and 74 uh they were not a factor shane bieber got lit up if i have his name correctly got lit up by the yankees in that wild card series back last october their over under number is 81 and a half. I'll go under with that and have them win 78 games, go 78 and 84. Um, plus, who knows about uh, Francona's uh, health. Um, the Tigers I have in fourth place going 75 and 87. They'll be improved. They'll be better because they got A.J. Hinch. And A.J. Hinch, you know, with that asterisk next to his uh, championship, uh, you know, next to his championship ring, he won with the Astros in 2017. I think that he will be motivated to prove that he is a good manager and doesn't need cheating, banging trash cans against, you know, back, banging bats against trash cans and using buzzers. And he's, he's going to be on a mission to prove to the world that he doesn't need to cheat and doesn't need to be essentially the manager of that all-star lineup and an all-star roster that is the Houston Astros in order for him to win. He'll be motivated by that, you know. So I think uh, A.J. Hinge by himself and just his presence will will the Tigers to win 75 games in 2021. They're over under number for the season is 68 and a half. I'd go over with uh, with Detroit. Um, as far as the Royals are concerned, they're going to be a bad team. Mad Dog told you, you know, they got Whit Merrifield. They added uh, at, uh, Andrew Benatendi from the from the uh, from the Red Sox. Uh, the Royals, I think that you know they're in it for the long haul. As far as the rebuild is concerned, they're over under number is uh it is at 73 and a half. I go under with that. I have the Royals finishing at last in last place at 98 and uh, or excuse me at eight. Or excuse me at 68. And 94. Go over to the American League West. I think the Astros are going to win the division at 98 and 68. Their over under number for 2021 is at 87 and a half. They finished with a sub 500 record in 2020. Made the postseason. Made it all the way to the ALCS when it got knocked off by the uh, when it got knocked off and showed a little bit of moxie and uh, and made the race sweat in the ALCS last year. I think the Astros will be good. Verlander coming back off of Tommy John. And Dusty's a good, is a fantastic regular season manager. They'll play hard for him. I think the Astros win a division at 94 and 68. A's who won a division last year, their over under number is at uh, 86 and a half. I'll go under with that. I think the A's will finish at 82 and 80. Like Dog said, they lost plenty of, uh, they lost uh, at 82 and 80. I have the A's going in 2021. As Dog said, you know, you can't expect to be competitive every year. They've lost pieces, Simeon. You know, they've lost pieces over the deadline. And like dogs say, you can't replace everybody. I'll go, I'll say that the A's will be pretty pedestrian in 2021 and go 82 and 80. Angels 75 and 87, finishing in third place. The Angels, their overall number is 83. Me and Dog share the same uh, share the same sentiment as far as the a as far as the Angels are concerned. Worried about starting pitching, you know, 
if Otani can stay healthy, you know, you know, pitching and can he pitch well consistently, that would be a concern. And Dylan Bundy, you know, who they traded for to get from my Orioles, who stinks. Don't trust him in the big spot either. I understand he got Rendon. I understand he got the best player in the sport, arguably, in uh, Mike Trout. But they can, but uh, but they can bring you what with so far in the American League. I have the Angels finishing in third place at seventy five and eighty seven. Uh, the under at 83 and a half. Mariners in fourth place at 70 and 92. The Mariners, their over-under number for the season is uh, at 72 and a, is at 72 and a half. I'll go under. I'll go under with that. It's the Seattle Mariners. They haven't done anything in what 20, 21 years. Is what have you done for me lately? But Mariners, you know, the same old eh organization that they've been for a good portion of time within the last essentially 20 years uh the rangers i think will be the worst team in the american league at 57 and 105 the roster is a complete dumpster fire from top to bottom it'll be a bad team playing in a brand spanking new ballpark they're over under number for the season is 66 and a half go under with that i think the angel i think the rangers going to be one of the worst teams in baseball in 2021 um, uh, fifty. I have them at fifty-seven and one hundred five, finishing in last place in the American League Western Division. Going over to the Senior Circuit in the National League and at least I think the Braves win the division at ninety-seven and sixty-five. We got Ronald Acuna Jr., Freddie Freeman, who arguably is their best player, and if not the best player in the National League, up there with, uh, of course, Tatis and and uh, and uh, and. And uh, Machado and uh, and Harper and Arenado and and uh, Lindor, one of the best players in the National League. Freddie Freeman is. Uh, they're over under for the season that ninety one half. I'd go over. I think the Braves, you know, they're you know they they have a bad taste in the mouth blowing the three one lead to the Dodgers in the uh, NLCS back in October. You know, the Dodgers are the champions, so you know they're going to be favored. And of course the uh, and of course they had to hear about the Padres making all this noise in the off season, extend trading for Snell and extending Tatis during the off season. So they've heard they've heard nothing but Dodgers and Padres in out west. And then they go in their own division, and then they go in their own division, and it's Mets, 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 with with the addition of Lindor and the new ownership. So so they've heard nothing but Mets within their own division, the World Series champion of the previous season in the Dodgers, and then of course the Padres. Three teams that people, the three teams that people are liking as far as the masses are concerned to make the World Series at the National League. I think the Braves, like that old Michael Jordan last dance theme, will take it personally. I think they'll win the division by seven games to finish 97 and 65 and win the NL East. Uh, going up against the Mets, their over under number again is ninety one and a half, which I think is fairly low considering a team that ended up making the ALCS last year. The brand have nowhere I think in my eyes yet to go, but up as far as the Atlanta Braves franchise is concerned. The team that I think will finish the second place in New York Mets says ninety and seventy two as a wild card team. The Mets, their over under number for the season is at ninety and a half, so that's a push. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna play that Vegas uh, fan duel, knock yourself out. Um, the additional Lindor got arguably one of the best pitchers in all of baseball in Degrom. They're going to hit Lindor and Alonso by themselves. Will uh, will carry the big load in that lineup. They cut the dead weight. 
and the distraction that was uh, Cespedes, so they don't have to worry about him. They'll be peppy. They'll have fans in the ballpark at City Field. They got new ownership there. They're not going to be afraid to spend some money. They're the only team that they're the only team that didn't lose money coming out of the 2020 season because they, they're under new ownership. Um, I, I'm not going to go as far as to pick them to win the division and to win 95-plus games, but the Mets will be good. The Mets will be competitive. Um, they'll get in their own way because because uh, and they indeed they are the Mets and low Mets never takes a day off regardless who's regardless who owns the team it's just who they are as a franchise but I think the Mets will be good and make the playoffs and win 90 games go 90 and 72 in 2021 team number three is a team that you know that I haven't heard a whole lot of buzz about throughout spring training in the offseason and that's the Philadelphia Phillies Harper has to Harper has to be proved has to prove to the Philly fan base and to the world that uh you know that that he's worth 300 million dollars Girardi is going to have that team in the mix because he's a good manager I think the Phillies are going to make the are going to miss the playoffs um but I think they're going to finish at 84 and 78 they're over on over under number for the season is at 80 and a half I had to go over with that Nationals the uh 2019 World Series champions uh, they'll have fans in the ballpark uh and Nats Park as well uh, you know, Strasburg and Scherzer's getting older. Strasburg's injuries, as dog told you about. You know, Juan Soto's going to be a heck of a player, but you know, the, you figure they're going to miss Rendon. Bullpen isn't what it was in their championship season. They're over under number for the season at eighty four and a half. I'd go in the under with that and have the Nationals going eighty two and eighty, missing the postseason in twenty twenty one. They have the Marlins who ended up making the postseason last year. Uh, I have them going at 75 and 87. They may be arguably the best last place team in all of baseball. They're over under numbers at 71 and a half. They'll be good. They'll ride off of that momentum a little bit from making the postseason, getting a little taste of postseason baseball last year. But the Marlins aren't going to win for a long, aren't, you know, they're in it for the long haul as far as the rebuilding process is concerned. They still got a ways way to go before they can start you know, going to the playoffs in a 162-game season because eventually the cream will rise to the top and the and the haves and the have-nots and the have-nots will will begin to fizzle out. But I have the Marlins finishing in last place uh, and and have the best last-place record at set, out of all the last-place teams at 75-87 and 87 because they have the Pirates and the Rockies both in their respective divisions losing over 100 games because those two teams stink. Uh, and the National League Central, a division that you heard once again, Dog mentioned last segment, that it's pretty much up for grabs. Uh, Cardinals made the Cardinals, Brewers, Reds, Cubs all made the postseason last year. All those four teams, I believe, will win seventy-five games or more. I believe the Cardinals win the division by four games at eighty-eight and seventy-four. They the addition of well, they've had Goldschmidt now; he's back. And of course, going to the addition of trading for Nolan Arenado. That all that will. Uh, that will uh, help them significantly. They're over on the number for the season. They're 86 and a half. I'll go over with that. 88-74. Win the division in the National League Central Division. Brewers finishing at 70 place at 84 and 78. They got Yelich, one of the best, uh, one of the best players, again, up there in the National League. And, as, and again, I hate to keep on echoing dog, but the National League is by far the best quote-unquote conference slash league in all of baseball. Uh, the Central's up for grabs. The Mets, arguably, or excuse me, the NL East is probably the best division in all of uh, baseball. And then the NL West, the Dodgers and the Padres are on a collision course between the two, between those two teams that are 
two uh, teams that are heavily favored to make the World Series. National League's got the best division. They got uh, they got two. They got four. Uh, wor- they got four World Series contenders in that division. Not to mention a couple of teams that can win eighty something games and, like Dog said, get hot in the postseason. And you never know. Uh, and end up making a postseason push if they win eighty five plus games. You know the uh, you know the Phillies, the Brewers. You know uh, even uh, even the Nationals, even the Nationals of the Mets. You know you know you just you just never know. You never know. That's why you know that's why it's baseball. You just never know. You meanwhile you look in the American League. It's real. It's really the it's really the Yankees and the Astros. And you know the Blue Jays are young. They'll be good, but they're young. Rays are going to fall off because of the debacle with uh, with taking Snell out in Game Six, and then you know the White Sox they're good, but again they're young and inexperienced, and you don't know how long you know you you just don't know because there's so many unknowns because they're a young team, and you'd say the Twins, but the Twins haven't won a playoff series in sixteen in sixteen some odd years, and if they want to make a World Series run, run of any kind. Eventually, they're going to have to play the New York Yankees, and they have, and again, and they've had their many of postseason woes against the New York Yankees within the last fifteen years or so. But, um, but getting back to NL Central, I have the Brewers at eighty-four and seventy-eight, Reds at seventy-seven and eighty-five. They couldn't hit a lick against the Braves in their uh, postseason series against them back in October. Their overall number for the Reds is at. 81 and a half. I go slightly under with that. They'll go 77 and 85, miss the postseason. Cubs 75 and 87. They didn't spend any money in the offseason. You know, Epstein, Epstein, their GM is gone. You know, they're going to have to look to uh, trade some guys and let some guys go in free agency after the 2021 season. It looks like, you know, end of an era. You know, they had a phenomenal run making it to NLCSs and winning their first World Series championship in 108 years. I think the Cubs are going to strike. Their over under is at 78 and a half. I'll uh, go slightly under with that and have the Cubs go 75 and 87. And then by far the worst team I think will be in all of baseball will be the Pittsburgh Pirates at 57 and 105. Their over under for the season is at 59 and a half. I'll go under with that. They're just they stink. I mean, what do you what do you want? What else do you want me to say about the Pittsburgh Pirates? They they just stink and they are just a pathetic baseball team offensive to the senses to watch. Going to the NL West, I have the Dodgers win the division at 115 and 47. Their over under is at one is at 102 and a half, which, as Dog said, is the highest odds for a team since 19 uh, for, since uh, the beginning of the 1998 baseball season. Listen. They added Bauer. They didn't need him, but Bauer coming off of a Cy Young season in 2020. They added him. Kershaw, Bueller, phenomenal one-two punch as far as the rotation is concerned. They got Seager, Bellinger. I mean, Turner's back. The Mookie Betts, who I think is winning the MVP. I mean, how in the world can you not like the Dodgers to win this National League West Middle Lancer? And, 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 and if anything... The Dodgers have extra motivation because there's going to be people out there that are going to say, well, that 2020, they still have to prove to me that they can win a World Series in a regular normal year playing the six months, 162 games, because, you know, that little sprint they had in 2020, it was a fluke. You played 60 games. Eh, it is what it is. You played in a neutral site. Eh, it is what it is. So, so you're going to have, so that's, all, that's motivation in, in and of itself right there. 
And then you have to add on to the fact that the Padres have been making all this noise this past offseason. You know they're going to be motivated, you know, with the with their uh, with their in division Southern California rivals and the Padres making all this noise. And they still and they have something to prove to the Padres in the world. Hey, we're still we're the Big Bad Dodgers World Series champions 2020. We're here to stay. Don't start hopping off our bandwagon and going to the Padres next. We still have something to prove, which I think will uh, do the Dodgers uh, big favors as far as motivation in 2020. Speaking of Padres, they have them going 93 and 69. They will be a great baseball team in 2021. They got they traded for Snell. Tyler Glass now, of course, Machado and Tatis, that one two punch. Hosmer's got to, you know, Hosmer has to has to produce in this season, make a, you know, an important season for Hosmer. Their over-under number, uh, San Diego, is at 94 and a half. I would go slightly, you know, play the slight under with that when it going 93 and 69. Padres will be good in 2021, have the Padres getting a wild card spot. And the Mets, those two teams being the wild card teams uh, in the National League, is as far as the National League is concerned. Giants, third place, 75 and 87. They'll be better than people think. They were fairly decent in 2020 under uh, Gabe Kapler's guidance. I think they'll go 75 and 87, finish in third place. They're over under, in case you care, is 75 and a, is uh, 75 and a half. So that's a push. Diamondbacks, I think, finish in fourth at 71 and 91. The Arizona Diamondbacks are over under 74 and a half. Go under with that. Padres, uh, or excuse me, the Rockies, I think will finish in last place at 62 and 100. The Denver, the uh, Colorado Rockies, that's it. I meant the Rockies. Rockies at 62 and 100. The Rockies, their over/under number is at 63 and a half. I'd go under with that. They're going to suffer immensely. Looks like they got culture issues as far as the organization is concerned, and they're going to miss Arenado a bunch in the in that lineup as well. And not to mention, again, they got to play the Dodgers, the Padres. Uh, you know the Braves, the Mets, not going to be the the Phillies, not going to be an easy run of the mill for teams like the Rockies and the and the and the uh, and the uh, Pirates, who have the advantage of being two bad teams in a uh, pretty strong National League in 2021. The wild card games, uh, I think it's going to be Blue Jays and White Sox in the American League, Mets and Padres in the National League. I think the Padres will edge out the Mets in that game and advance to the NLDS. I have the White Sox edging out the Blue Jays to advance the NL, excuse me, in the ALDS in the American League. At the LCS prediction for me, Yankees and Astros in the American League, same as last, or not, not quite, but the Astros I think will make it back. Yankees I think will make it back as well. NLCS, same as last year, Dodgers and Braves. I got the gank. I have the Yankees and the Dodgers both advancing. Yankee Dodger World Series 2021. Dodgers, for the first time since the Yankees in over 20 years, will repeat as World Series champions and win the 2021 World Series in six games. You want my awards predictions? Here you go. American League. American League Cy Young, Garrett Cole, National League Cy Young, Jacob DeGrom, uh, American League MVP, fingers crossed that he stays healthy, Aaron Judge, National League MVP, Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles, of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers in the West. Um, and then of course, in the, and then of course, American League Manager of the Year, Tony La Russa, I believe he will do a phenomenal job coming out of retirement and uh, getting the whites and getting the White Sox to a uh, postseason uh, series this October. 
And then, of course, you have, um, and of course, in the National League, give it to Dave Roberts for, you know, because I think he's going to, I think the Dodgers going to repeat and win 115 games in the National League in 2021. So, there are my 2021 season predictions. I will tweet them out, uh, tweet them out and share them via social media. Come opening day on Thursday in case you needed a refresher. But there you have it, my 2021 MLB season predictions. Going to be an interesting season. You know, interesting to see if the Dodgers can repeat and if they can and if they can repeat their same success they had in 2020. You know, having you know having with a regular seat with a normal season back with fans in the ballpark and having to you know play uh, and having to uh, play teams out of the National League West. You know, having to play the NL East again and the and the NL Central and stuff. You know, and things of that nature. And then of course, it's interesting to see what the Padres and the White Sox do. If if you know if they'll be worth all the hype that they've gotten throughout this past off season to see if they will be up to snuff in twenty twenty one. Same with the Mets as well. Lindor, interesting to see how he does in New York. How the uh, how the uh, culture of the Mets is with the new ownership and having that shiny new toy and Lindor there. Be interesting to see how the Mets do in twenty twenty one as well. And I'll be interested to see on how my you know how the Rays how the Rays perform after you know that you know after something that will just deflate your franchise with cash taking Snell out and then Snell have you know ended up being traded across the country to San Diego. Be interesting to see. You know, if there's a quote unquote, you know, if, uh, you know, if there's any, you know, if they have to suffer that, that, uh, World Series loser hangover that, uh, that, you know, that, you know, that, uh, that, um, that the Astros somewhat had to go through in 2020. And then, of course, and, and then, of course, teams in the past that have lost the world's, you know, outside of the Dodgers, really. But it be interesting to see how uh, they shape up in 2021. And, of course, my Orioles to see if they're any good. Uh, in 2021, and if they're going to be worth my time come uh, mid-late August when I'm breaking down uh, Joe Burrow, you know, throwing uh, slant patterns to uh, T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd in a preseason game against the Indianapolis Colts at uh, Paul Brown Stadium. But there you have it. Great show today. Great show. Was looking forward to this show for about a week. Phenomenal job. Daniel Oye Fusi did a phenomenal job with the Baltimore Sun. Did a phenomenal job breaking down the NCAA tournament for us. Christopher Mad Dog Russo was absolutely off the charts. Enjoyed him being on. Shout out to him as well. If you are new to the program, be sure to subscribe. If you haven't already, follow me on socials. At the J Shield on Twitter and Instagram. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatelit underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore it T I S. It's your boy Jai Shields. Talk to you on Saturday. Y'all take care. See ya.